I should have known that under this all, these past years, you've been building your hate for me piece by piece. I don't even know who you are because you have none of me in you. You're someone else's. This anger, your maliciousness, backwards dealings with me. You're an orphan from a basket in the middle of the desert. I took you for no other reason than I needed a sweet face to buy land. Did you get that? So now you know. Look at me. Two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room. Diametrically opposed foes. They emerge with a compromise, having opened doors that were previously closed. Bros. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. No one really knows how the game is played. All right, cool. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Odd Movie Podcast. This is Andrew. Wait, let me turn off. <laughs> <laughs> this is how podcasting works. Like, like I think one of my true, one of my true joys of quarantining is I finally beat the bullets and did the thing Damon has told me to do forever, which is to get a giant bomb subscription. Yep. And watching their live streams of them doing the podcasts is just amazing to me. I didn't think <laughs> I'd enjoy it as much as I do. I, yeah, yeah. Hopefully nobody, like, accidentally goes to the toilet and that kind of shit. <laughs> so, yes. <Make> close. <laughs> so, yes, Damon, you're here. You're finally yes, ready. I am here. My fan is off. <laughs> and I'm Douglas is here as well. Burning to death. <laughs> if you if you come if you come over here, Damien, my AC is on. It's quite cool. Yeah, man. Uh, how am I going to get home? <laughs> so, so over here in Ontario, they finally reached what they've called stage three of reopening, with the exception of Toronto. So that means that like. That means like bars are still slowly opening up. I don't know why people want to go to bars, but it's opening up. Because they um, have liquor, Andrew. <laughs> no, no, no. You can go to the liquor store and buy liquor, right? You don't have to go to the bar. But then I have to pour it myself like a peasant? Never. <laughs> um, so what I'm imagining in my head is I want to ask when is Kingston, Jamaica's stage three opening so damon can go to douglas and do the podcast oh andrew bars have been open for at least three weeks yeah we're open (laughs) it's just that you can't go home after 11 o'clock yeah 11 o'clock is on the road oh so it's at 11 o'clock no that's where the cutoff is now yeah okay we've been home for a while (laughs) so you're saying when eventually they say midnight like damon is like all right we'll do this yeah, literally, if they bump it up to midnight, I'd go, all right, we can do the podcast at Douglas. <laughs> that would give me enough time to get home. But yeah, that, and, that and, and Andrew, you would be happy because that would then also force us to make sure we start at some time, like six or something. Yeah. <laughs> You'd officially <laughs> be like, work, I'm out. 
Um, yeah, so quarantine COVID tump continues to happen. Sadly, the video beta isn't for us anymore, so I can't see you guys. Um, I mean, we could like do a Zoom call at the same time. That'd be weird, but whatever. Um, we're here. And we're here, we have many things to talk about. There are many media things to talk about that has gone on in the last month. But before that, we're going to talk a random French movie, that being the film by the name of Custody. I don't know which one of the two plus, for example. We want just live in peace. I just want to take news of my children. C'est lui Vos enfants sont remontés contre vous, monsieur. Vous. Je sais pas ce qu'on leur met dans la tête. On ne dit pas qu'il est venu. So, Andrew, when you put trailers like these on the podcast um, and they're in another language, do you add subtitles um, Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you turn on the option, um, yeah. it shows up in your in your podcast. You have to use Pocket Cast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I got Pocket I got cast. Spotify to 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 support it. Oh, yeah, they have to platform, like Spotify. <laughs> Actually, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. One of the things that I really dislike in Spotify is when you play. If I've seen it because we we'll stream some Spotify on the television sometimes when we just kind of want to just have music in the room. Um, and because I haven't like set up a full sound system or whatever yet, we'll do that at yeah. some point. Um, when it gets through the playlist, it'll hit like a really popular song, and then you'll see like the lyrics come up on the screen as if it's karaoke. And I'm like, why do I have this here? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, anyways, Custody, the 2017 film directed by Xavier Legrand. Um, starring um, the likes of Leah Drucker and Dennis Menush. Menu- I don't know how to pronounce his name. The man who was more, yeah. the man who was more famous for crying at um, Christoph Waltz in <gasps> oh, shit. in Inglorious Bastards for twenty yes. minutes. Um, in this film, um, the story of a couple who are now separated slash divorced. I, did, I think they're only separated. I can't remember if they're actually divorced. Um, and they are fighting over the custody of their child. The man is a abusive husband, or at the very least, he is said to be one at the beginning. Um, spoiler alert, he's proven to be one by the end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and... Uh, it is about the drama of their custody battle, battle and their relationship during this time. Right. Uh, so, as Andrew poorly uh, described to start of this, uh, it is about a man who uh, he is determined to keep custody of his son. He has a daughter, but she's 18, and both parties have um, accepted that uh, she is now old enough that they cannot force the judge to... The judge basically can't force a ruling upon her um, because the time frame is too short or whatever it is. She's soon to be 18 or she's already turned 18, so she's decided to stay with the mother. And so what 
this movie does is for the first 15 minutes, it is the husband and the wife and both their lawyers basically arguing the merits of each case. And what that does is in a, a very a very neat way is fill you in on just enough backstory to get a sense of where both parties are. And it doesn't feel contrived. There's no narration. Uh, and by putting the, this at the front of the movie, they don't have to jump back and forth. Um, uh, what was the, the movie with Kylo Ren and... <laughs> Marge Story. Marge Story, right. Marge Story. Um, what they were forced to do is have flashbacks in order to fill out the backstory of... Uh, uh, the man and the woman this avoids that by having the custody here and then and then they jump forward in time the judge makes the ruling they have to split custody and the man gets the sons on on weekends and then that is where the brunt of the movie is the movie starts out as a standard drama it is just this man trying to find out where his wife lives because the wife will tell him he has to pick up his son from a third party home. And so he is concerned about the son and the son's welfare. And he still has affection for both his wife and his daughter. And he's um, openly frustrated with the situation. Even though he's won custody, it's clear that the family um, has taken the wife's side. Uh, Luckily, he has his mother and father to help when he has custody of the boy. But even then, you see, you see glimpses that uh, there's something off. And the thing, the reason I brought this movie to you guys is when I saw it, what I was impressed with um, outside of the acting is the movie slowly transforms from a standard drama into kind of a horror movie. It turns into a thriller by the end of the movie. There's people who are in fear and panicking and hiding from this man. And you watch him slowly move. This, the anger that you, you think you know and you've seen evidence of, you watch it slowly warp into rage and jealousy and there is a point where he finds out where his ex-wife lives and his children live and you see him walking through the house and everyone is visibly afraid like no one knows what is about to happen and then you see him start breaking down and crying he's like distraught he's like I'm a changed person and you're like oh so you're you're clearly garbage at some point, but you still don't know just how, how monstrous this person is. And then at the very end of the movie, everything is laid bare. And the movie kind of wraps up too neatly for my uh, purposes. I'd have liked if the movie ends with him standing at the door with the rifle. Like after he makes the first shot, it does fade to black. And then you get to decide what happens after that, you know? You get to um, decide how grim a world you believe in. Exactly. You get to decide, 
do you like The Last of Us 2 or do you not like The Last of Us 2? <laughs> what side are you? Uh, but I really, I really enjoyed the progression of this movie. The only thing I take out is there's a party scene where they're singing some song for some reason that felt kind of unnecessary. Like there's things that happen around the party, but that it's in it of itself didn't feel like like they could have staged what they needed to get done anywhere else. But outside of that, I really uh, the movies are hour and a half. It's been a long time since I watched a ninety minute movie. Uh, I don't think I, I didn't think they made those anymore. Uh, <laughs> they call them shorts now. Yeah, I think so. Um, I. I'm impressed that it was, this is this guy's first movie. So I'll be looking out for his name in future. Um, the acting was fantastic. And it's not often that I watch a movie that is openly a drama where there's no, there's definitely a bad side. Most movies that deal with family, especially divorce and stuff of late, there's a tendency to make both sides at fault. Like there's some inciting incident, but you can see that there's strain on the relationship. Um, Blue Valentine is one of the movies that I love. And what that did is it, it, for a lot of people, there was a lot of gray areas. For me, it's straightforward. The wife fell out of love with the husband in Blue Valentine. But most movies, they're just like, listen, these people should probably be apart. Um, but there's no one person that you're like, fuck these people. <laughs> By the end of this movie, you're just like, all right. Because <laughs> uh, you don't know. And I enjoyed watching us go from um, one point to another. Because at the start, this man, um, if you remember him from Inglorious Bassett, you see that he's a big, imposing man. And for the entire movie, that is the figure he's struck. Like, he's not... There's no warmth coming off of him. He, Wait, who was he in Inglourious Basterds? He was the farmer. Oh, the very beginning. okay. In the okay. opening scene, in the opening yeah. scene, the guy who had yeah. the three daughters. Right. Yeah. And so he's this giant man toying over everybody. And there is this sense of menace in inside of him at all times and that carries like even when he's trying to show affection it doesn't like it doesn't work he, it it doesn't ring true uh, but you don't have anything concrete until the movie progresses and i was and i was really enamored with that and i've been watching a lot of bad movies so i don't know how uh my co-host will feel about this movie maybe it is it was only mediocre, but I think it is better than it is because I've only been watching trash. Or maybe it's a good movie. I, Hello? I like to hear from Andrew first. I don't want to hear anything from Douglas. I don't trust Douglas. <laughs> oh, it looks like he's been around a lot in 2020. Why it's not theme fault. The world has ended, but I want to hear from Andrew first. So I have been told that I must begin my review with a note. Okay. Um, which is from my wife, a family lawyer, um, who says, quote, 
this is probably the most accurate film as it relates to lawyering and what court cases and family court looks like. Right? Everything just was like, yeah, I've done that. I've seen those people. I've defended those people. That's happened. Um, <laughs> and she's just like, the world is shit. Yeah. <laughs> um... Like, towards the end, she's like, alright, maybe it went a little over the top with, like, how crazy it can get, but it can yeah. get that crazy, right? Um, but, yeah, so I'm starting out with that note. Okay. So if, if if we've all watched movies and hoped that we'd have our My Cousin Vinny story yeah. to tell uh, when one day we get to court, that's not mm-hmm. it. It's yeah, that's not, the whole, that's not the whole court story. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out movies I'm are not... fake. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? I still prefer the My Cousin Vinny version, but hey, that's just me. Um, Anyways, this movie is exactly what it told you it was going to be. It is, um, it starts out in murky waters. However, I'd just like to say in a very Damien slash Douglas-esque manner, I started this movie and went, nah, that's where it's going. And guess what? That's where it went. Like, it, at first, you could see they were trying to make it look like maybe it's a marriage story situation where they're wrong on both sides. They each have their merits. One or the other, you can choose your side. But no, I, I chose my side early on, and I was right. Um, and it didn't take very... Even though I feel like the movie doesn't take very long for it to confirm a lot of things um, that I suspect. And I don't know, you can tell me, Damien, if... From the get-go, if you were in that same category where you're like, yeah, that's where it's going, and I know it's going that way. <laughs> yeah, I, you I like... mean, you see a man that size, and you hear the stories about him breaking the daughter's hand, you're just like, this man is a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and then he turned into a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but, yeah... This movie is another one of those movies where it all hinges not so much on the writing, but on the acting, on watching everybody's reaction to how large people get. And this is not a comment on how many people um, this farmer ate in order to play the role of this man. Hey, he's hey, very hey, angry. It's beautiful, Andrew. <laughs> look, look, he was he was a he was a tight hundred and eighty pounds for for um Inglorious Bastards. I don't know what's happened here, but um I I joke, I don't know. It's fine. The the movie itself, it was good. I don't know it for me, I just kind of felt like at a certain point it stopped being interesting to see how far it would go because and I wonder if it's just the child that messed it up for me, because a lot of the scenes hinge on the the the, the tension of watching this child react to what's going on around him, um, whether it be the the aggression of the father, um, the scenarios at his at his at the child's now grandparents' home with his father, um, or even when he goes home to his mother. And he has to, like, not tell her what really happened or try and conceal what's going on so that she doesn't get panicked or anything. Like, I feel like everything was truly, like, contained within how good he was in playing his role and everyone else was just kind of across the board okay or not that great. 
and if he wasn't in the scene, it just didn't really work for me. Um, and then by the time you get to the end of the movie, like, sure, it's a it's a big over-the-top scene of how far this story can go. But I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It was it was what it was. And am I am I crazy in this, Damien? Is anyone else but him good in this movie? Like, I mean, the wife, she's a bit one. I mean, she's in. She's afraid of this man. Um, <laughs> but I enjoyed her performance, uh, especially towards the end where she had. There's clearly some new love interest being introduced. You got to see basically the juxtaposition of how she is around um, her ex-husband and this new guy. New guys, like he was basically threatening her that he might not come over that night. And you saw like all of the fear that she has around the ex-husband disappeared, like completely off her face. She didn't care about that at all. Um, but for most of the movie, she is just in genuine fear of this man, um, which I get it. <laughs> he seems like a real garbage <laughs> and he's proven so towards the end. Um, I didn't find the son's performance um, as off-putting as you did. Um, he seemed fine. His child actors... There, it's rare that you get so you get those that are you know spectacular um but it was i yeah i didn't find it as problematic as you uh with the son um but the father is the one doing most of the heavy yeah. lifting in terms of acting yeah you're right yeah and it's he is amazing in this movie um it's just kind of i don't know if off-putting is a word it's it's one of those movies where you can tell there are many parts that are great and sure everything we can do our our silly checklist sort of story that we talk about movies um but this wasn't a movie that like hit me and made me go like yes that is why i love movies this movie was just a checkbox good movie and it had a really good acting role in it and you know that's that's kind of where i ended it um i mean we always, or at least I always like movies that try to take these um, thriller um, structure of stories that generally are very ridiculous. We can talk about um, the Sam Jackson-esque movies of A Time to Kill that does the courtroom drama movies where they're all ridiculously overblown and not really real. Um, but at the same time, it's I always find it nice and interesting to see movies that can do that sort of story structure but makes everything real in like, we can talk about the courtroom scene in the opening of this movie where you can feel like a good tension as it goes from like conversation beat to point to point between the two sides of the room. Um, even though I don't believe how, I don't believe any of it in what he's using as his defense. You can kind of see the battle of the lawyers, which was, which was a cool scene um the way that the the mediator kind of manages the two of them i really like that um it's it's the same way how in a movie like um asar fahadi's a separation every scene that was in the courtroom um like i mean obviously i don't know enough about that culture's court system to say exactly how completely beat to beat reality they made that scene but it felt real to me 
and I liked how those played out, and I like that about this movie. Um, but once it kind of jumped off and became just the the horror story that this movie is, as opposed to the real part, the the reality part, and not just let's talk about how good he is as an actor in this movie. When it became just that that horror story movie, then I was just like, all right, it's okay. <laughs> So Douglas? Oh, you guys done? Yes. You guys done shitting on this movie? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you guys know this movie is fucking perfect. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it's, to be fair, you guys have spoken about a lot of the stuff that actually happens in this movie. There's not a lot that I can add to it other than to say that the things you said were bad are good. Uh, but... Um, this movie is the is exactly what makes this movie so good is that it's actually very simple, right? There are no complex machinations in this movie. There are no subplots and subplots of subplots. It's one straight line, right? It is the development of this main character, um, the, the father, um, and the development of, or, or your, um, let's call it discovery. I know um, there's some of us, Andrew, who have said, oh, I knew it from day, and, and, and that's why it, it wasn't surprising, and I know that I'm that person all the time, but that's what this movie is. This movie is simply um, the story of uh, this monster, right? And not even really the story of him, but the, the uh, drawing the line from um, these people that he has uh, terrorized and um, on, just underlining that whole concept and, and, and putting it out there in, in reality. Um, actually, when I think of this movie, I think of another movie that Andrews introduced me to, um, The Night of the Hunter, starring Robert Mitchum. And it's a similar thing where really all this movie is, and Night of the Hunter actually had a, a little more to it, but um, all this movie is is a slow walk from is this really what's going to happen or or is this character really the the monster that you think he is to I'm going to show you the monster that he is um where uh Knight of the Hunter actually had Robert Mitchum chasing these children and um him being the monster kind of um, trying to get to the end, to get to the children. That's kind of what this, this movie feels like. Tonally, the, the way the movie is presented to you, um, it's almost as if the movie itself is a monster, right? Um, this movie is from day one 
from minute one of this movie, all it's really doing, it's an, it's an exercise in building tension. And that's why I like this movie. Not because um, there's anything special about it from a storytelling perspective or there is anything special about it from, you know, um, whether or not I, I, I knew or did not know and was this the, the, the moment where you find out that Bruce Willis was really a ghost. Um, it's not that, right? It is the efficiency, the effectiveness, how well they actually build that tension despite whether or not you've decided that, um, that this man is what this man is. Um, the ability for you to follow along and watch the first time that he takes his son to his parents' house and as soon as they sit down, he literally turns off. He looks like there is a switch on his head that he flips as he sits down and watches television and just straight up ignores his son. Um, and then they build that to him being actively monstrous, but in ways that maybe are more passive, and then they get more and more active. He starts to look violent. He, he starts to chase his son down an alleyway. He starts to play almost games with his, with his son's mind. And then the culmination of all of that with the final scene where he actually gets physical with everybody. And um, I love how they introduce him in that final scene where he is banging on the door and in your mind, I know in my mind, I kind of imagined him with, because you, you, it's established already that he has a hunting rifle. And so I imagined him with the rifle. But um, the way that they introduce him in that scene where you don't actually see him, you hear him violently trying to break down this door. And then you, you hear the, the telephone call to the police, not from his, his ex-wife. Um, but from their neighbor who, and you don't even hear the neighbor say it, you hear the, um, the operator, the police operator taking information from her um, and talking about the fact that he has what looks to be uh, a large um, weapon. And, you know, it almost builds a silhouette of uh cartoon not cartoon but but uh, uh like a monster from your childhood in your mind with as we've spoken about this guy's size but with his size and then the gun and then you kind of view it in your mind as this this huge thing um this movie is spot on perfect um i'm never going to watch this movie again uh but I think the acting across the board is great. Obviously, he in particular is the shining light of this film. He, the father. But I think everybody else pulls their weight where they need to. Um, the wife is pretty good. The son is um, 
pretty good, especially as Damien mentions for a child actor. I think you always uh, maybe I'm I'm guilty of always allowing for uh, a lot of shenanigans and shit when it comes to children actors because guess what guys are fucking children. <laughs> but um, I think he he did what he was asked. So to you do. shoot less of you shoot less of them. That's all I say. <laughs> Just make sure not to focus on them, and then I don't have to think about it. Fair enough, but also. I wouldn't say that there were any glaring mishaps from his um, performance. I think he hit the 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 highs and the lows he was supposed to hit, um, and everybody else was was scenery um, essentially. It really is focusing on these three characters in this movie, um, and I'm I'm sorry I I I, I don't see the movie that you see, Andrew. I see the slow walk to terror and violence from day one in this movie. And um, I love it. Um, this, this almost feels to me like the sort of thing that um, Lars would do, um, except, I mean, he would do something. He would turn it up a notch in some way, shape, or form. But this is his um, basic template. And this movie is fantastic. Uh, I don't know about fantastic, <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I I was hoping that uh, one of you would take um, basically that side uh, because I really did enjoy uh, watching <laughs> watching the movie. It's just that there's there's something about the movie that wasn't. Um, I don't know, as good as I'd hope. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But there's, it's not, I like it, but it's not, um, it doesn't give me that, that, that feeling, you know, <laughs> you know? it doesn't. That James Brown feeling? Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> Even with movies that are uncomfortable, there's times that you'll be like, listen, this movie is is weird or it's whatever, but I'm definitely going to watch this movie again. And it didn't give me that. Um, and maybe all movies don't do that. <laughs> but um, that's, that's what I want out of my movies, uh, reasonable or not. I think that's generally unreasonable, but hey. <laughs> I'm no longer the person I was when we started this podcast in, 20, in 2009, where I'd say every movie must be the Golden God movie. Fuck that movie. <laughs> You've become jaded. Uh, poor poor mm-hmm. Andrew. There's a time we could count on Andrew for being the nice one, and those days are over. We've broken, we've broken Andrew, Douglas. <laughs> I'm blaming you for all of this, by the just by the way. Look, it's 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 just Tarantino movies, and that's it. That's all I want in my life. That's nope. rewatching Speed Racer. No, can't join you with Tarantino movies. He made this terrible movie last year. Mm. It's long. I still. 
I still want to watch that movie again. I've only watched it twice last year. I should watch. Only it watched it twice. Jesus oh. Christ! <laughs> so I too want to watch it again just to confirm um, that it's bad. That it's bad. But mm-hmm. I have only watched it once because why would I put myself through that again? Exactly. I still want to watch it. <laughs> So moving right along, unless there's anything more we want to talk about <laughs> Quad City. Now that, now that uh, I've brought up Tarantino and all the other shenanigans. Yeah. Um, Custody gets the, the like, kind of approval of Tump with me kind of going like, eh, all right. <laughs> this is Tump approved. I mean, even when, so the thing I really liked about it too was, as you said, Andrew, despite knowing exactly where it was going, when things happen, I was there. I was still, in a way, not exactly surprised, but you felt the emotion of it, you know? So, like, when um, it comes to a head at the end and you see, like, a shot fired and, um, you know, you think to yourself, but this is happening to his child and to, like, I felt the emotion of it. And for me to still feel that after kind of knowing exactly what's going to happen takes some doing right um and and that more than anything is why i as soon as i finished watching that movie i haven't actually looked up anything but i said to myself i have to dig into this director's uh back, back catalog well there's no there's no back oh, there's no, oh, he, has no. Like, he has like a short film from a few uh, years before and the short catalog. film the short film is basically the prequel to what this movie is. Okay. Well, hope. Yeah. Well, well, then I'm definitely um, looking forward to whatever their next uh, movie is or, yes. or thing is because so this, if, if this is if this is number one, exactly. if this is your first film. Whoa! I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm expecting big things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So. So custody, that was fun, <laughs> but we've got something important to talk about. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let someone tell you what it is. I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. To King's College, I probably should brag with Dag. I'm amazing, astonished. The problem is, I got a lot of brains, but no polish. I got a holler just to be heard with every word. I drop knowledge, I'm a diamond in the rough, a shiny piece of coal trying to reach my goal. My power of speech, unimpeachable. Only 19, but my mind is over. So, while for the last five years the world has been going batshit crazy about the Broadway musical Hamilton, we have not been able to watch it. Disney decided to finally fix that problem and release a recording of the original cast um, performing the musical of Hamilton on Disney Plus. That being, finally, Disney Plus has a reason for us to give it money or for me to care to log into Douglas's Disney Plus account. (laughs) (laughs) Stop stealing my password! (laughs) Says the man who messaged it to me happily. Says, here, have fun. Um... So, yeah, my whole family has has my <laughs> Disney account. <laughs> um, so while usually on this podcast, the topic of musicals is something that I go giddy at and find myself being the lone wolf talking 
with just effusive love at what is going on. I have been tracking my brother's letterboxed account, and over the last two weeks since this thing has come out, no, hold on, you've no, watched no. it. You've watched it what seven times? Listen, T- I seventeen, I think. So, so, so let me let me give some context, right? I know that they're not all active watches, but let me let, let me give you some context. Um, so I have watched this a number of times, but <laughs> I just want to I just want to be clear that the only reason I have been watching this so many times is to make sure that I have adequate notes to rebut whatever good things Andrew has to say about this because fuck this movie. Let's get it on. <laughs> no, no, no. Nice right on. <laughs> I think we sincerely have to do this in order of who's watched it the most. So Douglas has to start this out. Right. Damn it, then I have to actually say what I really think. How but, the fuck did Hamilton get you? So okay. <laughs> so so first of all, I want to start with the number of times as you said that I have watched it. I have watched it that many times. And I want to talk give give some actual proper context to this thing. So it came out um today is Wednesday the fifteenth of July. It came out on Friday, not last week Friday, the week before, I did not watch it on Friday night because I, uh, being a responsible adult, uh, <laughs> <laughs> looked at the clock when I was when I said, okay, I think I, I wouldn't mind trying this, this shitty little musical. Um, saw it was almost 11 o'clock, looked at the time, the, the runtime, saw it was a three-hour-long movie, and said, I am not spending my time, I'm not staying up until one or two o'clock in the morning to watch this. So the first time I watched this movie was the Saturday after that. So it has literally been 12 so days, day. right? Yeah, the next day. It has been 12 days since I first watched this movie, Right? I have, as you said, Andrew, I have now watched it seven times. Just to make sure that we're we're calculating correctly here, Mm -hmm. two of those days, one of those days, I had to watch a podcast movie. Another one of those days is today. I cannot watch this movie because I'm on this podcast with you. So I have really, out of 10 potential days for watching this movie, watched it seven times, which means 70% of my life since this movie came out, or since I watched, since I first watched this movie, has been dedicated to watching Hamilton. And Andrew, I know you were trying to give me some sort of credit. Absolutely not. Every single watch has been 100% actively watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're cleaning the house and you're just no. listening to the music. No, I am not cleaning. I am not. De- I am sitting down and like. I'm starting to learn the lyrics now, is how bad it is. I fucking <laughs> love this movie, right? So I have so many notes, but they ended up, it ended up delving into or, or just really um, evolving into me highlighting a moment that I liked, which is almost every moment in this movie. Um, but let me at least, you know, say a few things and then perhaps we can open it up to other folks. Um, I want to, so I knew that, not that I knew it was going to be good, but from the second it started, you knew they were trying to do something, right? So the regular Disney opening with the castle and the shooting star comes up and they have 
completely different music than the usual one, right? They have it's you, you actually end up realizing that it's it's a piece or maybe a remix of um, a song that is actually in the um, the musical. But they start from day one saying, "Hey, I'm not saying it's going to be good, but I'm trying a thing," and that was interesting. I was like, "All right, fair enough, cool." Um, very early on, actually. From the first moment, because he comes out immediately, you realize that where this musical came from, or the, the backstory I have created in my head, is that Lin-Manuel Miranda watched Amadeus one night and said, you know what? <laughs> I can do this better. <laughs> because this, mo- this, this play is nothing more than the... Amadeus um, uh, concept or mechanism put into this story where Burr, Aaron Burr is Salieri and Alexander Hamilton is Amadeus Mozart, right? So, no, I'm not saying that, I, obviously I'm saying that to be funny, but I'm not saying that to denigrate the show in any way because as I have previously said, this show is the so fucking good. Um, and by the way, just to let you know, as much as the title of the the show is Hamilton, and sure, Lin Manuel is great. Um, Burr, Aaron Burr, played by Leslie Odom Jr., steals the fucking show. He is the star. Of how dare this you? Show. How dare you dismiss my David Diggs love? Hold on. I'm not again. I'm not saying that any of the other people were bad because, trust me, Andrew, there are so many things about this movie I love, and I don't think I can really say a bad thing about anybody. Uh, but if I were to rank goodness, goodnessity, right? If I were to put these people um, in a race for the win, the win goes to Aaron Burr. The win goes to Leslie Odom Jr. So much so that I have gone into his IMDb page and highlighted shitty movies that I'm going to watch because he's in them. All right? Um, and by the way, I don't think he's ever been in a good movie. It doesn't look like based on what I've seen. But I'll still be watching some shitty movies. I mean, um, he does have a good album. Oh, does he? Yeah, he has an album that came out last year, which is great. Uh, well, thank you for letting me know. I will definitely vote, be getting that. My vote goes to Jonathan Groff, uh, King George. Yeah, King, I mean, yeah, he's, I think he's, he's good, I think, but he's I so... think he gets like the best song per minute deal. Exactly. But like David digs for me, like he's my winner. So and here's the thing, right? That I people, to. So that I mean, he kind of cheats. He's two people. Yeah, he does cheat, but so do a lot of them. A, a couple of them do what I know to be. So um, Bruce Campbell calls it shemping. Um, where you play just multiple roles. Yeah, a lot of them do that, and that's interesting. I really like, um, I think his name is Anthony Ramos, who plays John Lorenz and Philip Schuyler. No, sorry, Philip Hamilton. Um, And he's really cool uh, when it comes to that. Obviously, Andrew, David Diggs is great, right? Let me tell you how great this is. I've known David Diggs way before Hamilton existed because for some reason I was tricked into into trying clipping. Um, And clippings 
uh, lead rapper, or really only rapper, lead person, is David Diggs. Now, from time to time, I will flip, right? So I heard it on, I think, the, the record label's YouTube page and thought maybe one or two songs were great, so I got an album. Um, since then, I remember I started hating it because it's very experimental. Then, you know, every once in a while you hear some stuff and you're like, oh, it's actually not bad. And then I go from not bad to hating it to not bad to hating it. This is how much I fucking love this movie is I literally went and bought their latest album to be like, I mean, he was in this, so maybe he's gotten better. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've only listened to the first few. I don't think he has. Um, <laughs> but the Aaron Burr is fantastic. Um, we speak about the King, King George, Jonathan Groff. He's great. Um, he is the, the obvious choice. They allow him. They they give him a great, a, a funny ass role, and they just let him roll with it, let him go with it, and he he definitely does. Um, and seeing as we're talking about King George right now, I cannot wait for when the world comes back, and you know they're in cast number one hundred and sixty five. And they finally get the person who Lin-Manuel Miranda obviously wrote that role for to play King George, which is Elton John himself. <laughs> El every, time, every time I heard him come out, I think, this is Elton John. This sounds like an Elton John song. It sounds just like Elton John. I cannot wait to see Elton John play that. Uh, by about, the way, What about the speed? Okay, so I've actually looked that up because I was like, what's going on here? Um, apparently, that's just him. He does oh. that whenever he sings. <laughs> but people... I heard, I heard that he would like, especially for that first clip, first song, like he would like take some water before he went out because he knew he wanted it to be like this, this lathery, like this like, <laughs> like watering king just being like, <laughs> kind of and I just love it. <laughs> yeah, he he claims that maybe he he um exaggerated it for for this because I, I was reading about it and people were like maybe it's because he, he's they're pointing to the fact that King George goes crazy. Um, eventually in real life and something to do with that. And he confirmed in some interview, he's like, no, um, when I sing on stage, I just spit a lot. And, um, you know, people aren't necessarily always happy with me because I spit in people's faces quite a lot. Um, not a good thing right now. No, Don't definitely right not. Now. Definitely right. not. No, there are a few things that I really want to speak about technically about this 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 play so i have been to a broadway play a long time ago right before i went to college um it didn't make a lasting impression on me i went to see chicago uh i don't actually remember weirdly watching chicago the main thing i remember was i think i got to kind of walk through the backstage because we knew the person who managed whichever playhouse it was um and I remember seeing like a couple of the cast members. Um, but this play in particular, and I don't know if it just because you, me, Damien, we are not regular Broadway participants, that this is just a regular thing and we've never seen it before. But 
this play and this playhouse has a moving stage. Um, it has like a couple of, I'll call them discs on the floor where they can rotate and um, you have the center that can rotate like a concentric circle around that center ca that can rotate as well. And they do this thing throughout the, the play where sometimes the whole thing rotates in one way, sometimes they rotate in two directions. There's all sorts of things that you can play, and they play around with parallax, with people walking on roads and having um, uh, like lights and road signs on that disc that then makes it look like you know you're walking against something. It's it's actually really cool, and I want to give this play credit for doing that, but it's probably just a thing that that has happened in the past. Um, so, but that so what I'll really, say to that uh -huh. is like, so I've not been to a lot of plays mm -hmm. and this is something that I always like have an argument with um, Lindsay, um, Ryan's wife, um, when, cause she's a big play person. Like she like goes to Broadway every year to like watch a bunch of plays and mm -hmm. stuff and she's seen hamilton probably more times than you've seen she's probably seen hamilton live more times than you've seen it on the tv at this point um don't worry lindsay i'm coming for you <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get to um, your number i'm gonna beat it <laughs> but like being from jamaica growing up in jamaica like we didn't go to a lot of these types of plays like we went yeah. to plays we went to like the playhouse and saw a lot of the pantomimes oh yeah and, the and, and they were and always we just, shitty because we, we don't we have this kind of money yeah right we and on top of which I generally just didn't enjoy them, right? Mm -hmm. Let's not get into the decision as to whether they're actively good or bad, because <laughs> some people truly like them, right? So I'll leave that to them, right? It just wasn't my thing, right? Yeah. I've always some people loved eat musicals, rice pudding, you know. Right? <laughs> I've always loved musicals, but my experience with musicals has always been through movie musicals, where they get the opportunity to do all the things movies let you do, where now you can show what this looks like in a movie where you can actually have the space to do everything. Um, I've gone to a few plays now, having been here for a while, and sorry to mention this, I actually had tickets to go see Hamilton and I didn't go because it wow. was showing here. It was showing, it started showing here like the end of last year um, and I had gotten tickets like sometime before the COVID lockdown, like it was in either January or February. Um, and something came up, so I couldn't. We couldn't go. Um, was it real Hamilton, or is it like fake Canadian Hamilton? How does that work? Well, it's know. all different casts. So yeah. I know. No, I, I know. don't know what cast. Yeah. Um, but it's they tour Hamilton everywhere, and it was it's been in Toronto at this point. Um, so I could have gone and see, seen it. I just didn't. Um, <laughs> but whatever. Um, but like I I've been to a few plays, and it's always interesting to me. Like that's one of the number one things I find fascinating going to some of these productions is seeing what they actually do with the space like that concentric circle thing like they might not specifically have that configuration for another play but they'll have something that they've done to design to make the space work on a limited stage space to convey like motion or how grand something can be in a scene and how much it really works like you kind of you kind of you kind of can't imagine it as something someone would do until you actually see it done right i feel like in the same way you can't imagine how movies really work 
until you see until people couldn't even imagine what you could have done did with movies until Millier um did what he did um with the with the with the, the moon short films um and stuff like that um and yeah those are things that i think are fascinating to me and i guess it's the same thing you're talking about um as someone who didn't get to see a lot of these plays live yeah um and it's something i've always questioned because i had obviously they record a lot of these plays and a lot of these musicals and you can watch like tapings of them but i've always never sat down to watch it thinking like oh it'd probably be better if like i went so i'll just wait i'll just watch the movie one when the movie comes out and i'll leave the live thing alone um but honestly like watching this it's made me think more about wanting to try and watch other live recordings of plays that i've not seen that i'm interested in no agreed i i also i've always kind of um wanted to i haven't had i suppose i've had the opportunity in the sense that carib does this the, the the thing that they're subscribed to this um uh the national theater yeah. yeah so i could have gone there but it's carib and i hate it um and maybe there are some play like streaming services that i just don't know about because i know that a lot of um broadway plays in particular have taped their performances and that they're somehow available and i'd like to to see more of them um, but this one is great. And there's something else that I wanted to talk about um, from a technical perspective. Just what they were able to do with two things and how they merged them. The sound design, the fact that um, there were a lot of elements of both the music and just the, the sound itself generally that were piped in from some sort of speaker. It wasn't necessarily like an orchestra. Um, that helped to set the tone of whatever scene it was, as well as the lighting and the, the lighting. I, obviously, this all really comes from, again, the three of us here um, are poor, dirty, shithole country Jamaicans. Right, that haven't, um, you know, gotten to see all of these big productions that can have big budgets and do things like this. Um, but the way that they combined all of that to make this movie, and obviously it helped that they were able to have a bunch of cameras with weird camera angles, so it looked cinematic, but it, it then became a lot more cinematic. And also, one thing in, in particular I want to talk about is the fact that these guys have been able to figure out, and again, maybe other people have before, they probably have, but this is the first time I've ever seen it, they've been able to figure out how to do live-action bullet time technology yeah. right um <laughs> <laughs> bullet time technology and fucking slow motion like and because of how i think it has to do with the shade of the blue lighting and the darkness versus the the kind of lighting to the um the blandness of the color of the ensemble's um get-ups um to of course just physical prowess in terms of how still can you be and how slow can you move and dance mm -hmm. that and the way that they um manipulate the props for yeah. um, when they're doing this that there are a number of times that i'm straight up watching it and i'm like damn the slow motion is great and then i think wait hold on actually somebody's holding that um they like and again I know that the ability for them, because 
they filmed this over two live performances and then they did one private one with a roaming camera, right? And I know that them being able to have that roaming camera have specific camera angles that focus in on specific characters or specific parts of the stage helps to even better um, hide the limitations of the stage itself, right? And I actually kind of want to... If it would be cool to have access to one of the feeds where it was kind of like the tactical camera from um, football, right? Where it's just one camera angle, like maybe dead center, almost as if you were just in the crowd actually watching the play to see how much of the mystique is gone, right? W would it be as, um, for lack of a word, cinematic as I feel it is now if you were just sitting down and able to look to your right and watch somebody walk off the stage with a piece of uh, a paper or a table or something like that, you know? Um, but, like, the way that they're able to, to do these very technical things by just having people, um, I guess, eat right and exercise is <laughs> tremendous, right? Um, and now I just really want to talk about because I have spoken about some of the technical things, um, some of the real like key points I wanted to hit. Um, I want to also remind you that this is the best movie. This is top 10 for 2020. Does, is this a movie for you? Or this is, is this just a... This is a movie for you. This, this is, is actually a, a big me. debate I remember seeing between people on, on Twitter, like when this came out. Like, does this count as a movie to be logged in Letterboxd? Does this count as something you'll rank in the year end? Or is this just like a stage production and you're like, all right, that was cute. That was fun to watch, but it's not a movie. Listen, it was captured by cameras, um, released um, in the year 2020, and... I was able to watch it on my television and there was a story involved. It's a fucking movie, right? I mean, I know we're getting technical that it was a play and that it's a movie. Uh, or it maybe it's not a movie. What it does is it counts as a movie that I can put in my top 10. And I will be putting it in my top 10. Um, but I just want to, to, to highlight a few things. Um, one... Hamilton does the butterfly in this movie. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> <laughs> yep, he did that. Two. Oh, before before I get into just, um, it's not nitpicking. What is what is the opposite of nitpicking? Nit wanting? I don't know. Um, but before <laughs> I get into that, let's let's go back to one last thing that I really enjoyed. I want to talk about um, is just how. And it, you know, we can start with Lin-Manuel Miranda is the greatest thing ever. He's obviously a genius, sure. But just the result of that. How um, amazing this musical is um, in terms of its millions and millions of references to, like, hip-hop, rap, um, things that, that we all love, right? Yep. And I'm just going to, I, I mean, I'm oh. just going to name a few, right? So, you, I mean, there's Biggie, right? Um, the Ten Crack Commandments. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> um, there's, 
There is um, Mob Deep, you know. Um, there is nice. but my mind is old. Oh yeah, oh, Star yeah. Rhymes, boom from the canon. There is, is Grandmaster Flash. Like, there's so many things yeah. in this movie. It's crazy. In this, in, this, in this play, it is crazy. And every time, like, I chuckle, I had to. You just, and that's another reason why it's so easy to rewatch this. Because there's so much more, like, it's so dense from a, a reference perspective that you're always thinking it. And because of also the way that hip-hop works, each reference in itself is a reference. Because, for example, um, they have the slowdown thing, right? Mm -hmm. And immediately, once I hear just that, the word slowdown in that cadence, I immediately think of most Def and, and Speed Law. But, of course, as we all know, that is really, it, it then can be traced back to Brand Nubian, who I think he sampled it from. And then, of course, I mean, I don't know where that comes from, but Brand Nubian clearly sampled it from somebody else. So there are so many levels of just um, music rabbit holery that you can do coming out of this play. It's amazing. And speaking to the density of this movie, and I'm just going to call, keep calling it a movie because it's it's how I uh, associate with it. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why I have been able to watch this movie so many times and why I want to watch this movie so many times and why I will probably continue to watch this movie um, so many times is that, and I explained this to Damien earlier today, there are musicals that I love. Um, let's take La La Land, for instance. And I have watched La La Land quite a few times. I mean, probably like, you know, 20, 30 times over um, the years, right? It's been, no, what, six years since it came out? No. Um, three, four, yeah, yeah. four or five years. It's been like around years. five years since yeah. it saved jazz. Um, <laughs> I like that movie, but I don't watch it every day because... Um, the thing about that movie and most musicals is that, yes, they've got a bunch of songs, but there is a lot of talking, or as Damien might say, crying in between the songs, right? And so it feels more like a movie. And movies, you watch and you enjoy, and you know maybe you watch it again a little later, but whatever, it's fine. It, it's its own self-encased experience that you don't necessarily need to keep continuing. But this musical is so dense, densely packed with music. There is almost no what I would call acting. There's no crying, right? It's um and and because it's rap based, even when they're pushing the story along, they do it in verse most of the time. I think you could probably count on your right hand how many times somebody talks and sounds like they're actually talking instead of um, rapping in verse. And in Welcome that regard... What's that? Welcome to musicals. <laughs> no, man. No, no, no. Most musicals are not this tightly packed. I, I'm not saying that there is not a, a spectrum on which musicals lie, but I have never... And maybe you can educate me because I know you are Mr. Musical when it comes to this podcast, but I have never seen a musical this tightly packed. Um, and because of that, this movie 
doesn't exactly feel like a movie to me. It actually feels more like an album. And I was saying to Damien, if I, it, it then translates to how I experience albums. Because, for example, Run the Jewels came out with RTJ for, has it been a month now? Maybe a month ago. I have probably listened to that. Maybe lately I haven't listened to it as much, but definitely in the first two weeks or so, I probably listened to, if not the whole thing, a portion of it every day. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm doing in this movie. Um, and it helps that there's not a lot of other TV that I could watch like instead. So especially when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, well, I'm eating my breakfast. I only have a half an hour, but there's no like half hour show. I can just watch and stop and then go and take a shower or whatever. And I think to myself, should I watch, because, I've, for example, I've been watching Hannibal, should I watch a piece of an episode of Hannibal and, and feel really, like, bad stopping in the middle? Um, should I watch a piece of another movie and feel bad stopping in the middle? Or should I listen to a couple of songs? And I just I'll give you the answer. You should watch a whole episode of Hannibal and then get to work late. <laughs> I could do that. Um... <laughs> that could happen but um this movie just allows you to experience it as a collection of songs that also happen to move a story along um and you know so we haven't spoken about david diggs and i agree andrew he deserves more um credit than than me slapping him aside when you said he's number one. He's not number one, but he's definitely, I mean, <laughs> I want to say he's in like the top five, but there are only about five people in here. But if I were to grade them, right? He's the top five of the top five build actors. Exactly. <laughs> so the only person in this, in this play that I don't care about, and it's not that she's not great. She is. It's just her themes, right, aren't the cool songs that I really like. Is Philippa Sue who plays um, Eliza Schuyler. Um, she. I love is, her ending. I love the ending song by her, though. Absolutely not. No. Oh, so if you had out. said to me you love any of her other songs, yes, they're great. Um, so, actually, okay. in particular, um, I like the first one where she meets yeah. Hamilton. That one's so. So I love that one, but oddly enough, and you can tell me how wrong I am. Mm -hmm. I associate Wrong. that more with her sister than with okay. her. Okay, yes, yes, <laughs> I agree. And that is what you notice. I didn't talk, call her name because she's fantastic. Um, oh, she's great. I love all her songs. Oh, so boy, much. she's good. Um, and but Philippa, and listen, that last song, like, so me and Damien spoke about this. This, this play, like, starts real strong. Um, it does, if I have to admit, and this is on a relative basis. I think Damien takes this a little more serious than I do. Um, and I'm sorry for, for monopolizing the chat on this. Um, I guess... 12,000 times. Yeah, I'm just so excited about I think, I think you. I think you have the best note-taking of it. I've, as, being, <laughs> as being the resident musicologist on this podcast, That's I... I've only watched it once. <laughs> so, so I feel like Trash. you deserve it at this point. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. But like, it, it tails off uh, relatively. And for me, the main reason is that 
And I'm sorry for those who love her because I know there are going to be those out there. There's a lot more of her in the second half and her music. Um, and her music is great, but it just it's slower than and and not the music that I I, I love, right? Not the music you get excited for. I get excited for exactly the the rap, for the cool, the funny shit, the the you did what kind of shit. Um, but not like her being sad that her husband cheated on her shit. I, I mean, sure, she sings good, but you know. And also, in particular, that last song. I don't like that last song. And the reason I don't like the last song, I know it's silly. It is because um, two things. And both of these are my fault. One, she does I accept this... your apology. <laughs> she does this weird scream at the end that's not a scream. This gasp business. And what the hell is that for? Um, I even tried to look it up, and she gave an explanation. And I was like, I don't like your explanation of the thing that you do in the play you were hired to do because you're a professional. Why is that a problem for me? I don't know. The second thing um, is that George Washington, and this again is my fault because... I love this movie so much. I love that I've... him in this, in this yeah, thing. He's good. I love George Washington. He's great. He, he's, he's not top three, but he's great. Um, uh, he, right? I didn't even notice this until I saw it in one of these YouTube videos. And now I cannot stop seeing it. I don't know if you know, but in the end, when she's singing our song, she talks about how she raised money for the Washington Monument. And you see me in the background like, ha-ha, I won! And then she says, I spoke out about slavery. You probably have not noticed, but when she says that, he does this weird... Oh, I saw that. Yeah, he has like a conniption and then bows. And apparently why he does that is because the guy, Chris Jackson, who plays him, is like, oh my God, I'm playing this guy who had slaves. And I need to show that this is my way to like um, uh, deal with that, to to show that he, you know, had remorse or something. And I was like, uh, stop putting importance in my silly, silly things. <laughs> <laughs> and again, my fault completely. I apologize. I, okay, I understand. <laughs> I understand that you have an aversion to import. Yeah. I understand it. Yeah. I think. I think. Even with that, first of all, I took it. I, ha I unlike you, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole of seeing explanations of all the little <laughs> intricacies of what people did. I just took my interpretation of what I saw. I yeah. took that moment. As him being like, oh shit, like someone called me out on my, my slavery, George Washington's slavery. I was like, I need to get out of here. And I took it as a oh, joke on well, George to be Washington. Fair, it's, it's, it's a similar right. thing, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so I took it as, you know, that perfect balance we look for when someone is allowed to have import and I'm allowed to laugh at what's happening normally. <laughs> Right, so I thought of it as perfect for Douglas, and also right. having already watched two hours and thirty-five minutes of this perfect musical, you can kind of give it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. But no, so let's talk about David Diggs a little bit because I think um, he has clearly been 
sideswiped by the rest of us. He um, has been he has been he has been besmirched by the lack of your yep. mention of him. Exactly. He's great. Right? No, um he plays two big roles, right? He's Marquis de Lafayette um in the first half and in the second half he is Thomas Jefferson. First of all, let me stop again and talk about some shenanigans that I have been doing outside of Hamilton. So I recently rewatched um Knives Out. Um since watching Hamilton and only then got the joke about Don Johnson talking about immigrants and I had myself a time. That movie has just gotten 10 times better. But back to Hamilton. Um David Diggs is fantastic. He is so the thing about it, right? And the reason why I was originally drawn to clipping is that he is genuinely a great rapper, right? Um the thing that clipping <laughs> does well sometimes when they get it right and falls down on a lot is because their production they they intentionally try to be outlandish and and different from what you expect, which is great, but it it means that it's it's always hard to connect, right? But when he decides to um actually rap, right? Um it is really cool. And obviously all of these words were written for him by Lin Manuel Miranda. Um but I I believe that he added his own flair to it, right? And the the way he he um comes across on stage um is he has so much charisma. Um and even and, and what I actually like about him and his his portrayal and I feel like Miranda has this as well, but let's put that aside because I think some people are going to murder me if I if I say this out loud. It's clear that he's not an actual Broadway actor, right? Um Ooh, David or yeah, David Diggs. Okay, I mean, yeah. Lynn is, obviously, but I just I mean, mean I don't know what you are saying. I was just trying to understand where you were going. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So David Diggs, is ob- it's, it's obvious to me when I watch this thing that, you know when, okay, so we, you and me, Andrew, and I'm not sure if Damien watched this as well, we watched Fosse Verdon, right? And there was a point where um, Michelle Williams got a little too old and... Uh, Bob Fosse was like, all right, hear what? Uh, she's not going to do this dance. We are going to have her sit down on that chair and like cross her legs and sing. And you dance around her and make her look like she's kind of dancing. All right? That's kind of what, in my head, I see when I see David Diggs. And it's clearly not to that level, right? But when you see him moving around, like, there are certain moves that he does. And you're like, ah, he doesn't quite hit it like a hundred percent or they, they started and they didn't give him the, the difficult version of this move to do. And I think I that, that's hilarious. I require an apology now. Why? You have said words against the V. No, 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 no. I think it's <laughs> hilarious and I love it, but he, he, um, he, he, like he has such a presence, Andrew. He walks on the stage and, he, you immediately expect something from him, whether it's a huge laugh, whether it is him flying meters into the sky off of a table, um, talking about you need your right hand man back. Like, he is amazing. Um, 
and that shitty French accent. Mwah! Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I would like to say that that French accent is the best part of this movie. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> because and he made he made no attempt. <laughs> <Not whatsoever. laughs> and when he plays Jefferson, and in particular, one of my favorite songs in this movie, the Reynolds pamphlet song. Um, of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. You're never going to be president now, right? I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, and just so for him, right? Forget his rapping. Forget everything, right? The way that he can just make a noise, and this speaks again to his just his size on the stage. He's chewing scenery as Damien likes to put it. Um, when, you know, Burr comes up to him and says, I look forward to our partnership, and he just makes, he's just, eh! like, and you immediately, like, get all of the emotion, all of the whatever it is you're supposed to get out of that. And um, one of my favorite um, things that he does, and it's back in the Reynolds pamphlet song, um, and it's a, uh, and this, this movie does so well with what all musicals do with the, the callback um, where they're reading the letter and he just goes, what? Um, that is one of the funniest moments there is, as is the only fuck that they're allowed to say in this movie, which is what that is a callback to. Um, David Diggs is a star. Like multiple fucks out of the show for the. They only cut two, and I've watched this movie so many times that I know exactly where they are. One um, is the mother. Yeah, one is the motherfucker from um when Ad- Adams fires him, and yeah. the other is the southern motherfucking Democratic Republicans. Yeah. Um, that they do a scratch in. Um, it's, and oh, oh, I want to talk about the champagne, right? Because no, I know that I'm not supposed to find this funny because. This is not how the play is uh, set up, but I find it hilarious. That. Let's just start off and talk about who plays who. So there is a small actor. Um, I shouldn't say small. There is an actor that plays a number of small roles in this movie, in this, this play. Um, two of those roles are Philip Schuyler, um, Hamilton's father-in-law, and whatever his name is, Reynolds, the husband to the lady that Hamilton has a relationship with. There is another actor who plays Peggy Schuyler, Hamilton's sister-in-law, and also plays Mrs. Reynolds, who Hamilton has the relationship with. Tie back to me and my crazy um, shenanigans in my head, I cannot get over the fact that Hamilton is literally having an affair with his sister-in-law who is being pimped by his father-in-law. And that is just <laughs> the most hilarious thing to me. <laughs> I think you should no longer be allowed to talk. I think that's where we're going. If, right. if this is where we're going, like, you shouldn't be allowed to talk anymore. <laughs> All right, just, just have a, a couple more things, and then I'll, I'll try and open it up, right? Um, <laughs> one, um, Martha Washington named her feral tomcat after... Hamilton, and there's a line where they say that, 
and then Hamilton turns around, he like, breaks the fourth wall and okay. says, that's true. And that is probably my favorite moment in this movie. Um, the next thing is Charles Lee becoming a general and how he responds to it where he says, I'm a general, hooey, is, oh, I, I, I die every time. Um, the cabinet meetings where they have rap battles, um, I know you mentioned it a while back, Andrew, and I kind of just talked right over you, but they are the shit. And um, they have a line in here where they just say um, everything is legal in New Jersey. And I love, especially because I went to college in New York, um, and I have seen firsthand how much New Yorkers shit on New Jersey, how much of a joke New Jersey is to people in New York, and that brought me back to, to brighter days. Um, I'm sorry for taking up all of all of this podcast's time. I now surrender the floor. <laughs> Handing the mic off to Damien. Damien. Hi. You, sir, are the mm-hmm. you are the anti-musical man. You are the I man like good movies, who, yeah. You are the man who if they sing you mute your you say that they should just release an album and not waste your time with video that is correct have you watched hamilton is this still true is hamilton a movie to you uh i have watched hamilton those times those tempos uh it's timos sorry timos um the first time I watched it, uh, I heard uh, Mob D shook one's lyrics and went, I am ready. <laughs> Turns out, the thing that I want from musical is rap music. <laughs> uh, uh, that uh, makes me racist, but I don't care. Um, I really did enjoy uh, Hamilton. So much so I forced my mother to watch it. She has held her ground uh, because she didn't grow up with rap music, so it, it mattered not. Uh, she heard singing, and she got about halfway through the movie and then decided, I don't need this, and then walked out of the room. So uh, my mother is steadfast in never watching musicals, but there was rap music in this, and I quite enjoyed I... Obviously, no one has fallen in love as hard as Douglas. This is a wet dream for Douglas Robinson. <laughs> he didn't know he had. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to name his first son uh, either Lynn Miranda or actually Hamilton. I don't know. We'll find out. A year or two, who knows. Um, but Douglas has spoken on this movie for let's say 14 hours and it hasn't left (laughs) there's not much left to say about this movie uh what it is is he has taken history and he's taken his upbringing uh of growing up with rap music and there being somehow his brain has decided there's a way to to mesh this and when before I saw the movie, I'd heard people say this, but y- you just don't believe them, because I also heard something similar about the Book of Mormon, 
but I actually listened to the audio book version of that. And even the audio version, I'm like, I don't care what they're doing on the stage. The songs aren't, they aren't funny enough for me to seek out, you know, watching this on video. There's a couple of good songs, but they, they make the same mistake all musicals make with the talking. And this movie avoids that by having, and uh, Douglas hasn't said it yet, but he did say it to me earlier, uh, this is just an album. Like, minus the acting and the props and the moving stages and whatnot, you'd still listen to this because it's so well constructed. There's so many good songs in there that on their own are quality songs that you'd listen to it. And then it is like doubly impressive that it is about history. It is like triply impressive that there's points where they're singing actual lines out of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and they make all of that flow. So it's clear Miranda is some kind of alien from the future or some uh, crazy genius type person. But then the production of all of that is what like makes the movie part work. And there's so many things that having a visual makes it better. It's watching them interact um, at the start, like when he just meets everybody and they're like, speak less, uh, smile more. more, (laughs) You're just like, when you see, when you see everyone's reaction, um, it really, it really lends purpose to um, the dialogue. Like watching the sisters uh, swoon and coo, um, as Douglas says, Hamilton does the butterfly without a visual. There's nothing you can sing to truly um, put across just how much he's feeling himself at the time, just how good he thinks he is with the ladies. Um, and like rap battles don't work unless you see the people. Like there's a when people make some um, remark and you see his team like hold their heads and they're like, oh baby and all that. Like all of it works. And on paper it shouldn't work because we've never seen anything like this before. Most musicals stick to uh, music in the operatic sense. Yeah. I mean, there's times they're like sliding some modern type music, but by and large, um, it is uh, boring <laughs> for me, at least. Um, and like I, I tried with operas. I actually went to one of the things that um, Carib did. Um, I went one time before and it was closed because there's no one there which was hilarious and then the other time i went there was like three more people and i saw that it didn't wow me part of that might be caravan the audio but i've tried with here and there with different operas at home but i don't think that's how you're supposed to see one of those things like hamilton might be the one-off but i don't know because we live here and uh, Jamaica is not a beacon for those type of stuff. 
of pantomime and the little theater and some other uh, madness that you holds from time to time. They're usually uh, middling at best, mediocre most often. Uh, but none of that is important. Hamilton is special. Clearly, everyone that saw it thought it was special. That's why Disney spent so much money getting this done. I'm fairly certain that no other things like Hamilton exist at this scale. Uh, so <laughs> we can, we either wait on Miranda to come up with something else, or hopefully this inspires more people to bring different types of music to the Broadway stage. I don't know how, how good it would translate. Um, I think they can try with that Old Town Road song. <laughs> Just <laughs> make that a full thing. So, um, so funnily enough, right, even before this came out, long before when Hamilton was just like a whisper of, ooh, it's so great on Broadway, yeah. um, I had read something that this is a, actually not Lin-Manuel Miranda's first play that he's written. Okay. Um, he's written others, and I think those are also rap musicals. So it would be interesting to see if there's a back catalog of that that we can either watch or maybe because of the immense success that this one has had, that they yeah. just bring it back, you know? We, we can hope. Um, also, I'd like him to do more things. Apparently, he's directing a musical movie with Anthony Ramos in it if the world ever comes back. So that would be great. He's not directing it. Um, it's directed by John M. John M. Chu. Um, it's in the Heights, which is going to come out this year. But you know, <laughs> yeah. Sure, I thought I saw it, yeah, it was it was a movie I was very much excited to see because there was a trailer out already and it looked fantastic. Um, he's producing it. He's obviously written, if not all, most of the songs. Um, and it. Oh, looks... you're right. I was probably looking in the writer section. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, John M. Chu is someone who has directed a lot of films that, while they aren't the greatest, I do like his like G.I. Joe like, <laughs> nonsense about it. He he gets the job done, right? Oh, he's an immigrant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. Even though that is, as you've mentioned many lines in this mu in this musical, that is one of my favorite lines in this musical. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about this guy, Andrew. He also directed Ken Jeong's Netflix special. I don't Listen, count that. No one like, directing that special could have made it better. The jokes. He also are directed <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians. Who now directs, you see me who, too. Do you Gem really and the holograms. people for directing comedy specials? Like, really? <laughs> um, they just have to put a name there for like the video. They're like, someone did this. Um, but anyways. We we'll have to blame um, somebody. <laughs> so, I don't really have a lot to talk about Hamilton because I feel like everything's been talked about other than I love it. Um, All right, it's... so here's what you need to talk about then. Um, yes. Well, it sounded like you had something else to talk about. So after you're finished with that, you need to um, come up with your, your top five um, list of people in this play. Go. People <laughs> or songs? Are we doing songs? Are we doing Ooh, our songs? We could do five? songs too. I'm songs sure you. I'm sure. I'm sure you are. You are more knowledgeable of all of the songs in this movie. Like I just I, have my. my I can do people. Through. I cannot do songs. Right. The songs are I mean, hard, they're yeah. like the, they're like the standout songs, which is like the the first King George song, which kind of is just amazing. Mm -hmm. There's the, 
there's the you've mentioned it, the something papers, the the Reynolds pamphlets. Yes, the Reynolds pamphlets. Um, I love the room where it happened, which is what I yes, used as, like the intro that song one is great to this to this podcast. Um, the 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 song there there is what um, I consider one of I my favorite song. Yeah, that um, one's yeah, good. All of the King George appearances, I like his songs. But I had to pick one, so I'm yeah, just taking so the first one. Actually, for <laughs> if I were to pick one of the King George songs, um, the one that probably was the best or the funniest for me was, I call it I'm Perplexed. It's the one right after George Washington says he's going to step down. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the one. If I had to pick one, that, that would be it. Like, I mean, he sits down in the corner and stands <laughs> and starts to laugh and dance. Here, so, all right. All right. Actually, that's right before Reynolds. They do have songs have names. Yeah. Yeah, but no, do. but the song I was going to mention was all of the rap battles. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, they, I don't know if it was just a surprise of how he used the rap form that it showed up at that point. Because mm-hmm. even though, as you guys have mentioned, many many references throughout the whole musical to like all of the rap music we grew up loving, um, like when he just straight up went rap battle mode, I'm like, I, I kind of hope yeah. deep down in my heart that when it gets to that point in the show, like they riff a little like each show. <laughs> Right? Where it's 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 like they don't they're just like alright we just have to battle this out and you just kinda make up new battle rhymes at a time. Obviously they can't, but in my head I want that to be true. <laughs> um <laughs> so I can there... see like looking through the song list, it's cabinet battle number one and cabinet battle number two. Yeah, that's what it's right? called. There are two Aaron Burr songs that I think win. Um one is Wait for It. Um yeah. and the other one, I can't remember the name of it, but it's is it's towards it, the end when they when they finish it with the spotlight on him? Oh, that one is good. Yeah, the letter one. Um, yeah. that's with him and um Hamilton. Um, I am your something, something, something yeah. obedient, whatever. Um, no, it is shit. Am I thinking about? Oh, it's the one where right. Oh, the room where it happened. Sorry, never mind. I forget. It, like it's because it starts off sounding different. Like yeah. sometimes it's hard for me to tell where a song ends and where a song finishes. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's a room where it happens. Never mind. So we've we've spoken about that one already. I like the fact that whenever he's speaking to, um, yeah, Aaron Arthur. Yeah, um, I love when they're speaking to George Washington or some superior. To do the MF Doom thing, which is overlap bars. So he always says sir at the end of the so he, they speak the bar and then he says sir to connect the other one. Yeah. I've always enjoyed when MF Doom does that. And so yeah, I man. enjoy them doing this. Doing I love MF Doom. Um I love that whenever Hamilton and Burr talk, like it's like Aaron Burr, sir. sir. And he does yeah. it, he does right. it also in the um first duel where yeah. They change it to like you know, is this this? It's immature, sure, and yeah, it, it's so right. good. <laughs> so, and I mean, I remember the first time I heard someone do that in an actual rap song because mm-hmm. it's so. And of course, it was MF Doom. It sounded so wrong. Yeah, like it took me so long to accept that people could do that because it it because for what twenty years or ten years or however long, rap was one way 
Um, you either did it fast or you did it slow, but you the bars don't over. You don't get to do that, and then just out of the blue sky, people started doing it. Um, it has led us down a bad path. Most of rap music now uh, follows this overlapping pattern, and it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I don't get to complain. I had fabulous and. Chingy, so I don't get to complain about people's rap. Chingy was us. We did that to rap. Yeah. <laughs> so there are two songs we need to talk about as well. Um, David Diggs, The Right Hand Man. Yes. As well as um, his open up. Washington on your the... side. What's that? Washington on your side. Yeah. yeah, that song is great too. But the open up for the second half of the show, um, uh, What Did I Miss? That yeah. song is great. Douglas, if we keep doing this, we're going to name all the songs. I know we are. So the, exercise only, the, only thing I'll say, <laughs> the only thing i say, which we've talked about David Diggs a lot, um, you mentioned the fact that he plays two different characters. Because of that song that opens the second half, What Did I Miss? Mm-hmm. I thought he was the same character for that little uh. one. <laughs> Where I thought he was Lafayette reappearing, like, yeah. like oh, I've come back from France. I mean, he yeah. says he's Thomas Jefferson pretty quickly in yeah. that song. Aaron Burr literally introduces him as Thomas. Yeah. But um, I know, yeah. but I wasn't sure. And then it was the same la- guy. And I was mm-hmm. just be and he says, What did I miss? I thought this was just like Lafayette's back. It There's one person minute, we right? haven't talked about, which I think deserves at least some um speech, which is I don't know his actual name. I'm sorry, Mr. Man. But um Hercules Mulligan and James Madison. Yes. That actor is amazing, right? Um, he does that thing with his voice. Yes, that he sounds does. Like he's like doing a DMX riff most times. Yeah, I'm and looking then... at his name. There's no way we can pronounce. It. <laughs> and then when he comes back as James Madison, two things that I love. One, you realize that he actually has a great velvety voice. Yes, yeah, um, that would it's amazing. And two, like, and I know it. it probably was written by Hamilton, Hamilton, my God, by Manuel Miranda this way. But um, the way they make fun of actual James Madison, it's hilarious. Um, actually, I had to look it up. I was like, why, why is he always holding a handkerchief and pretending to be sick? Apparently, that's how Madison was in real life. Madison was a hypochondriac and thought he was sick all the time. Apparently, he couldn't like be at a party and chat for more than like 10 minutes without having to sit down because he felt tired and faint. Um, so that is them making fun of that shit. The fact that he's always coughing and whatever. But he is great. Um, as you said, with Hercules Mulligan, when he's jumping all over the stage and um, sounding very raspy, that's cool. And then he comes and he, he gives you this, this silky voice. And um, just like the humor that he has like when um uh he does uh, you know um uh, sometimes it makes me wonder why he even brings the thunder um and when he responds um in the brat battle to say that france was the one that helps them yo can we just watch this movie now (laughs) i mean i'm sure you're going to let's let's have this podcast be us watching the movie (laughs) i'm sorry sir i'm kind of I think we've wrapped up Hamilton here. Um, it's been a deserved wait, Hamilton, for us to finally see you. Um, hopefully, when this is all over, I can go and see it live one day. Who knows? Yeah, that would be yeah. Nice. yeah, going outside. Yeah, man. All right, cool. 
<laughs> one day when this is all over. If you say so. So, last thing I want to talk about is this little thing right here. All right, I'm gonna put on my headphones now. Night, everybody. <laughs> no, no, you have to stay here, Douglas. It'll be worth it. videos of people who like tried to play guitar hero with this fucking guitar music. yeah there's people who, got, um, who have gotten real good at playing actual music with it and i've always so, hated those people because they're better than me <laughs> yeah so around a month ago um yeah. the last of us part two was released um <laughs> a sequel to a very popular video game called the last of us um by a studio naughty dog which makes what is dubbed cinematic video games right they make various movie-esque video games which while isn't i would call very unique they particularly i would like to say have honed their style to a certain t in that mode um more so than other people who tend to take that moniker um this video game has many things in it and while I feel our podcast is generally all-inclusive as to how we spoil things we talk about, I feel more so with this to kind of mention, we're going to spoil the fuck out of this game, if you care. It's been a month. Um, I finally <laughs> finished it, which means Damon can finally talk to me about it. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about The Last of Us Part Two. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is a video game set in a zombie apocalypse. Um in which a young girl who is immune goes on a revenge plot because her father figure is murdered by a young girl who went on her revenge plot and murdered the man who murdered her father. Um, That sounds very confusing if you don't know what we're talking about, so that's a good starting point. Um, The Last of Us Part 2 is, holy fucking shit, a video game. Um... There are so many things I want to talk about with this game. Yep. So, th- we can talk about story. We can talk about what this game does with story on its own. Right. And that is a whole conversation. Yeah. I want to start by talking about the video game part first. All right. Right? I want to talk about the game that we are playing. So, this is very much done when you're actually controlling the game. It has two modes. Yes. There is the light-based adventure game. Um, where you are going from point A to point B, 
you're kind of seeing pretty things along the way. You kind of have like these interactable cutscenes. Um, whether you're talking about the moments like um, Abby saving the zebra, right? Um, or you're talking about Ellie just kind of talking to her girlfriend Dino um, on the horse going down the road, um, and you have that going on. And the next half of this game is stealth, don't die, murder video game. I mean, you in said stealth, but I got real aggressive towards the end of that game. Yeah. Me too. There was like, no more stealth. <laughs> I was the murder when person. I got, when I got into the epilogue, and I don't know if it was my own frustration with mm -hmm. being murdered a lot of times, attempting yeah. to be stealthy, um, but by the time I got to that epilogue where mm -hmm. I was trying to find Abby in the prison thing, right. um, I got to the point where I was pretty much chucking a smoke grenade at people and then sprinting towards them and axing them to death. All right. right. So because Douglas is on this podcast, um, let, me, let me halt Andrew for a second. Douglas, what do you know about The Last of Us? Huh? Huh? What? <laughs> the Last of Us? I just yes. know... Through I pretty osmosis. much know what you guys have said so far, that it is video games, right. PlayStation, uh -huh. Zombies little girl and kind of it, it seems like there's some level of scariness to it that's about as much as i know all right so um so douglas in the first game um like all zombie movies um you have to survive right and so you play as this guy joel for most of the game at some point you play as a little girl but he plays this guy, and his job is to Honestly, transport her. One of my favorite parts of the first game, playing as right. that sequence. Right, because you didn't know. So, um, in the first game, you play as this guy. Um, in the beginning, he loses his daughter, and so he's now taxed to transport this girl, who is the only known person to have some cure for this disease, from one point to the other. Video game shit happens, and then when he gets to the end... <laughs> He decides, because he is now infatuated with this girl and he reminds her so much of his daughter that he is willing to sacrifice humanity to save this girl. Because it turns out in order to get the cure, they'd have to kill this girl. And so at the end of the game, he condemns humanity to live with this virus forever instead of watching his no surrogate daughter be murdered in order to fashion this cure. No, there are people who agree and disagree with um, his line of thinking. Um, and for people who, who care about the world, you'd go, you have to, like she could save millions of lives. And um, most people didn't take it that way because the game was directed specifically so that it would manipulate you into thinking that he's just, it's a bad decision, but he's justified in this decision. And the first game ends. A lot of people of the game, the gameplay was weak, but for the time, the story was one of the standouts for video game. 
And then it's seven years later and there's The Last of Us 2. The thing about The Last of Us 2 is that like all video games, there is a lead time. And so they have to put out, they have to announce it five years in advance for some stupid reason. And then they have to put out trailers. So year after year after year, you see these stupid trailers and you get some sense of what the game is going to be. And what this game did from the beginning, and I know now that they planned this ahead of time, which is why this game is an achievement like nothing I've seen before, is they lay out in trailers before the game comes out a scenario to lead you down a path, right? And then when the game begins, none of that happens. They manipulate the trailers. They take people who weren't alive and put them in parts of the trailers to paint this picture and then take all of that away when you start playing the game. And that is beautiful. If that is what movie trailers are and video game trailers are from now on, basically lies. <laughs> I will take that 100 times out of 100. Because Douglas, before this game came out, I was certain that the girlfriend died and that is what triggers the revenging. <laughs> and when the game starts, they're just like, I know that is what we showed you, but we are lying to your face. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this game. The game starts and Joel is immediately murdered. And that is what sends you down Revenge Road. And Douglas, the first half of this game is some of the most guilt-free revenging. <laughs> it is... Oh, Douglas, it is... It is so good. Because she, the game makes you so angry at all of these people who have come and killed this man. This man who, by the way, is a bad man, but it doesn't matter. I've heard people, and I don't know how Andrew thinks about this, but there's people who are trying to justify what Joel did, but he's a bad person, <laughs> right? Everyone in this world is bad people. That's how we build zombie apocalypses. <laughs> we make everyone really... Apocalypse. I'm sorry, apocalypse. Uh, you make everyone devoted to some faction for some reason, and then you have them be as hostile as possible to outsiders as you can. And so that is the game, that is the context of the game, and she is now going to enact revenge with her girlfriend. And Andrew, the first day, um, they give you like an open, they give you an open space. So you can go anywhere. You can take as much time as you want. You go into buildings. There's all this banter back and forth. And you, you truly get the sense of the relationship that these two girls are having. And you are already rooting for them. And, and the game like gives you time. They're just like, all right, take your time. Explore this space. Get a sense for what the mechanics are. Get a sense for what the story is. Um... And there's, there's like a comfort in the first area. They give you a map. They give you all sorts of silly challenges. Um, 
they give you a, a lot of backstory through just going through this space. And then for a while, it gives you this false sense that, you know, things might work out, which is what you want from all revenging movies. Like you want just before the revenging kicks off in earnest, you want to feel a sense that, you know, going down this path is going to is going to work, essentially, <laughs> and not end in despair. And they're like, listen, we're going to get this done. We're going to kill all these people. And at the end of the first day, because the, how the game is structured, you, you spend three days in Seattle. And so at the end of the first day, you find out that her girlfriend is pregnant. She says something truly awful to her. And then the game gives you a flashback of Ellie and Joel at a it's her birthday and they go to a dinosaur exhibit. And Douglas Robinson. Um, there's a scene, Andrew played the audio um, at the top of this. There's a scene in this game, Douglas, that made me happier than watching, I'd say, 95% of movies. <laughs> I was so, so happy in... Like it, it sounds amazing. It looks amazing. It is a thing that only a video game can, get. like, no movie can get you, can manipulate you and make you feel part of a thing, like, because it is something that you're actively engaged in. And when she puts on a space helmet and puts the lawn sequence in her ear the video game slowly fades out everything else and like transports her into space and then you come back like the real the reality comes back and you're just like this is like the amount of work just to put that in there is so remarkable and then you wake up and it's day 2 and Ellie is now on her own because Dina is pregnant. She has morning sickness. And so you have two days to enact revenge. And Douglas, Douglas, it is some of the sweetest revenge. Douglas, I know you don't have the time. I understand that. But one day when you find time, you need to experience this revenge for yourself. Um... There are, at the end of, I saw the devil. He's walking down the road and he's crying. And you understand why the man is crying. Because of all of the things that led him to this point. Douglas, there's multiple times that that happens in the two days. <laughs> there is a point where the camera, it reverses the camera because you're about to torture some person. And so you're no longer seeing the person that you're torturing. You're seeing through her eyes yourself. And the background is in red flashing lights and you're holding a pipe, Douglas. And there's a little prompt on the screen that says press square. It's just a tiny little square. And the game will not move forward until you hit that button. 
And because you're in the throes of revenge in Douglas, you hit the button the first time. And then you realize <laughs> that you have to keep hitting the button. <laughs> and you no longer want to hit the button. <laughs> and I've never, I've never played any video game in the 30 odd years I've been playing video games. Not a single time have I played anything that has made me question revenge. <laughs> it never happened. Andrew, when you, you got to... John Wick your games. Yeah. Andrew, when you got to that part, because the, the girl is already dead. When you got to that part and you saw that they did that, how did you react when you saw what was happening? I mean, that was rough, but that wasn't the part for me that got me. Right? Um, that that was definitely a rough moment where the game started its 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 few tricks it wants to play with you. Right. To kind of affect you as much as possible. Um, the thing that got me is like the big reveal that no one knew going into this game. But um, after the first like oh well, I, I think I kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, that being the character switch. Right. So... Right? Douglas at the end of the third day. So she's going through murdering these people who hurt her father, who killed her father. And at the end of the third day, she like gives up on finding the person that actually did the murdering. Because she's murdered so many people at this point um, that she's like, her friends are like, listen, we have to leave. We just have to accept that she's the one that got away, but we have to leave. And so you go back to basically your base operations and then Abby, she's the one that actually killed Joel, turns up, murders one person and is pointing a gun at you and she's just like, we didn't kill you when we had the chance. We only came, we killed Joel and we left. And she says we gave you the chance and you wasted it. And her performance, all the performance in, in, in the game is truly phenomenal and then it cuts away and then you wake up as her and I, even though they they kind of foreshadowed it in the beginning of the game andrew saw it coming i didn't see it coming uh you wake up as basically the, the person you've been trying to kill for 20 hours you're just like, I have to kill this. I don't care what I need to get done. But she has to die. And then the game is like, all right. You play as this girl. Not only that. Hey yeah. Can I tell you that when this happened, my first thing I did was when I got into an encounter, after yeah. coming to terms with the fact that the game is going to let me do this, is that I let Abby die. Yeah, man. Everybody. In a, in a hope. In a hope that the game would be like, oh, you found the trick, you won. Yeah. Won. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, first, the first full day playing with her, I, like, I didn't collect any resources. I didn't pick up any pills. I hated Douglas. I hated this girl so much that I was ignoring video game mechanics to spite her. That is so effective. <laughs> anyway, like, the entire time playing with her, I was just like, I just need to get back to the hotel. 
so that I can have Abby stab this girl in the face so that this game can be over. And in like her first day is so harrowing <laughs> that by the end of the first day, I started to, like I wasn't completely behind her. I was just like, listen, I'm still killing this girl. Mm, what a kind of, I'm, I don't agree. She still has to die. But I see that maybe there's some, there's a person in there. She's not just the devil. And then Douglas, he played two more days as her. And it is absolutely, it is a thing that I've wanted to talk to Andrew about since I've played the game. Uh, Douglas, I've never played anything. I've never watched anything. I've never read any books. There's never been any piece of media that I've consumed that has made me actually care about the antagonist. It's never happened. No, I've read books that did this. I've seen movies that did this. I've never felt any of the feelings I felt playing this game. Uh, Andrew, when you had to fight Abby the first time, like once you the days line back up. Upset. Douglas, the person you are playing as at the start of the game, you have to treat as an enemy. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was very confused. And I was like, it. I was I mastered the game mechanics at that time, Douglas, but just couldn't I couldn't do the things that I know would be effective because the person I'm hurting is the person that I want to root for. But all of the bad things that you did in the first three days, when you're playing as Abby, you get to you show up basically an hour after all of the bad things happen. So you just get to watch. You just get to deal with the ramifications of Ellie killing all of this girl's friends. And she's showing up at the worst possible times to see where she can't help anybody. She's just, it's just dead body after dead body that she's traipsing through. And you're just like, oh no, I know what she's about to walk into. Like, you get back to the aquarium and you're like, oh no, the dog. I killed that dog. <laughs> and I killed these people. And you're just like, oh my God. Because all of the things you are doing on your revenge mission is things she's finding and you're a monster. <laughs> like, you're the absolute... And, you're, and they, like it got me. And I couldn't believe it. Because I hated this girl so much. In the first three days, all I wanted to do was to kill this girl. That's all I wanted to do. And the game did it. I was so certain, Douglas, that they would have done this. They'd have done the character flip and it wouldn't work. I was adamant that it wouldn't work. I'm like, I know what this game is doing and it will not work. It did. I don't know how they did it. I don't care how they did it. But it worked. 
And instead of being upset at the game, I was upset with myself because I murdered all of her friends. And now she's the boss and I didn't know what to do. And at the end of that encounter, um, Ellie's girlfriend, Dina, she gets shot with an arrow and Abby's holding a knife to her neck. And Ellie has been defeated at this point and she's just like, um, don't kill her, she's pregnant. And Abby, there's this grin on her face. And again, the, the graphics and the motion capture is so good that it was... There's a smile on her face as she has the knife to her neck and she's like, good. And she starts the process and I hit pause on a video game because I could not see. <laughs> I was just like, I don't want to see what is up. Like, actual panic inside of my body for a video game. Uh, that thing that um, Tolkien and was trying to do at the end of the Lord of the Rings when Frodo gets to the end and he's just like, I'm not destroying the ring. Like, it is what he thought he was getting out of me. There's no reaction there. Just like, whatever. But it worked this time. When you see something and you're just like, I can't, I can't do this. And the sense of relief I got when she, when she picks up a companion on the way, a boy named Lev. And he, like, he's this voice of reason. He, like, stops her from killing Dina. And I was just like, all right, this I, I'm, I, was, I was so prepared for the game to end there, Douglas. That when it kept going, there was, act, like, I had to stop playing the game, go to my bed, think about this game. I thought about this game nonstop for a week, every single day. And the game gives you a fake ending. <laughs> You're just on a farm. And it's beautiful. And everyone's happy. And you're just like, I mean, the tone of everything that happened up to here doesn't mesh. But I'm just so glad none of these people are dead. <laughs> if this is the ending, I don't care that it's, a, it's not a great ending. I, don't, I just need... This ride to be over. You guys can do this to me again in part three. I don't care. Uh, no, nobody wins. And everyone goes their separate ways. I don't care. And the game refused to end there, Douglas. It's just like, no, we have it. So we're going to keep you here uh, because we're dicks. And the game is just like, you play as Abby. She goes to find um, some other group of people. She gets captured. Um, and then you play as Ellie. And Ellie's just like, I can't let it lie. I have to go kill this girl. And you're just like, why is this game forcing me to kill this girl? Like, this only ends poorly for everybody. And then they give you a final fight. Where you as Abby, you as Ellie are now fighting Abby, but it's not the same person. Uh, <laughs> she's been she's been through it. Uh, she got captured and was treated poorly, and her entire body changed. And Ellie is just determined to have this final fight. And Douglas, 
I've never, I've never played a game where at the end of the game, because you know that this is the final fight. I've never deliberately lost at the end of a game. <laughs> it's never happened. I've never been like, I am not doing this today game and put down the controller and the game is just like, no, you fail. You have to do this. And it happened section, but I'm like, all right, I've, I know that nothing bad happens in this section. If I just put down this controller, will everyone just walk away, please? And the game is like, no, we're carrying you. We're taking you through it. And they just keep taking you through it. And so many times, like a fight that could take, let's say, three minutes in real time, took me maybe three hours. Because I just wouldn't allow the fight to play out. I was like, at every opportunity where I didn't have to do something, I was just like, I don't, I don't care anymore. Just leave me alone. And then the game ends. And I was just like, Andrew Robinson, please. Please save me. <laughs> and Andrew took three more weeks, uh, in which time I made a mistake and looked on the internet. God, I hate the internet. <laughs> and Douglas, like you'll find they're idiots. You'll you'll find this surprising. There's people who don't like this game because women. Uh, there's people who don't like the game because uh, women have muscles. There's people who don't like the game because women like other women. Uh, there's people who don't like the game because a bad man that they played in the previous game died. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's people who don't like the game because uh, politics. Uh, there's people who don't like the game because someone compared this game to um, Schindler's List. And... The entire time, I was just like, I need to speak to Andrew Robinson. And Andrew took his sweet, sweet time <laughs> playing this game. I understand why. It's not pleasant to play for long stretches. It was hard. <laughs> yeah. It was hard. Um, like, you talk about that final fight. The All of those points you're talking about losing the fight. Mm -hmm. I was just happy that during that final fight, Renata left. To yeah. like go and walk the dog. Yeah. Because I mean, there were complaints throughout the game to be like, "Don't these people know there's a pandemic? Who wants to play this sort of shit?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't at the time they were making the game. No one knew. Yeah. yeah, but still, like, I feel like if she saw that final fight, she would have been like, "Oh my god." <laughs> yeah. Um. But you talk about a lot of things, and here lies my thing, right? I tell you that the thing that got me was the character swap. Yes. Right? And I was fine to a certain degree to like playing out the three days to mm -hmm. see to see what her story was. I got the gist. I understood what they were going for, right? They wanted me to empathize with this monster mm -hmm. who and I mean, I know as you've said, the internet has said many things and most of it is talking about muscly women and being like, oh, why are they muscly? That's not beautiful. First of all, fuck you, that's wrong. <laughs> Second yeah, of all, I also no. understand I also understand the um, cinematic imagery-based process 
of making a antagonist that dominating looking yes. to make me also think that oh this is someone who I'm going to have a hard time fighting right sort of thing so I understand that concept right and there was a part of me that was like alright I'm going to play through these three days and then it'll snap back and I'll get to fight as Ellie and beat the shit out of this person yep but then how angry I was when they made me play that fight as Abby where yep. I had to inflict harm on Ellie I don't care how much the the narrative was making it clear that both people are wrong, that mm -hmm. all all choices are bad. I was actively upset <laughs> having to play out this fight as Abby. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, they you're also... saying this is the all lives matter of fights. Of yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only Ellie's life matters. Um... One life matters. <laughs> um, it's. And, I mean, they do their work. Like, first of all, you know, you play through this whole game and you're like, all right, cool, the game is going to end with the big battle between Ellie and Abby, and mm -hmm. you're going to be Ellie, and it'll be a hard fight because this big muscle girl you have to beat, and you are a tiny, scrawny woman. Right. Holy shit, did they make that fight against Ellie hard. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> um, it was, like, it made me upset, like, seeing Ellie do all the things I would do in a fight against me mm -hmm. when you have, like, no weapons. And you can't, like, throwing throwing Molotov cocktails and setting traps. Right. And being like, oh, I hate you. These are all the things I've been taught to do in this game. Um, so that fight specifically, um, by the, because that was the end of the third day and I'd played the game for so long. I was so, like, I got so familiar with the game mechanics that, I was deliberate. I was deliberately trying not to hurt her, because I like even before. I think I died twice, and it was because I like ran up behind her, hit her, and then just left everything. I'm just like, I'm not doing this. I want to actually damage Ellie, and she turned around and like shot me with an arrow through the face or some, something. But I was always able to manipulate her because. That they're like, she's so angry that she's not thinking straight. Like, she's just looking for me anywhere she thinks I am. And I can hop over things and slide through places and throw a thing and get behind her quickly. But I don't want to do what the game has taught me to do when I get behind enemies quickly. That is not the game. That's not the ending I want. Um... So it wasn't that the battle was tough. It's that I didn't want to fight her. Like, at all? I mean, uh. there's also that. Um, but I also feel like I probably was worse at the game than you are. Oh, <laughs> so that kind of hurt. Yeah. Um, like, I died a good amount of times in that battle. Um, because I kept fucking up. But that's my fault. Um, but yeah, this game... like, And I think... One of the other encounters that got me was the one I'd like to think was pretty much right before that, mm -hmm. um, when you're fighting the sniper. You know that the sniper is Tommy, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Right? And it upset me to so hard because you... And I think I watched a video about this. Like, it showed up in my YouTube feed where someone was talking about this. And they said it exactly the way I feel, which is we played video games with sniper levels where it is difficult to hit the sniper or the sniper mm -hmm. has the advantage or all of these things 
but at the same time I don't feel like many video games and maybe it's because in most cases where this sort of um, level is designed it's mm -hmm. usually in shooter games where eventually you are supposed to shoot from a distance to defeat the sniper in some way right um, this game is not that game where no. they were literally like, if you attempt aim, you will be shot and hurt. Yep. Um, so there's no way for you to like shoot, you, to snipe him from afar and be like, all right, this is done easy. Mm -hmm. um, this is not this is not Hideo Kojima's um, MGS3 where they tell you the trick of increasing the clock on the machine. Right. And, and have this dead. old man die. <laughs> <laughs> As the fun joke. God um, damn, these games are good. Yeah. Yes, I still want. That is the game I want. That is the game I want a remaster of. I want MGS three. I want to play through that game again. They um, did. It's called MGS five. Fuck you. I want that one. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, but you play through that whole that whole level of the sniper where you are just angry. And the thing mm -hmm. is, like, unlike for example the Ellie Abbey fight where it is clear who is on what side. Right. Like. With the sniper, you don't know. Like exactly, you, you just assume that it's like another one of her normal enemies that is a super boss. Right. But then when you get to the point where you see it, and it only gives you like a half a frame right. of who this person is, and then you push him off of the, off of the cliff, the into the water. Into the water. Right. Yeah. Right. You're like, oh shit, that's Tommy. Why yep. did I hurt Tommy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should have let this woman die to Tommy. <laughs> And the game isn't supposed to do that. Yeah. Things aren't supposed to do that. I'm supposed to just laugh at how at how ridiculous it is that I can do video game things to murder things more effectively. Yep. Um like I'm I'm constantly upset when I play this game and I don't have more arrows to shoot people with my bow and arrow as Ellie. Because that's what I, that's how I want to play this game. I want mm -hmm. to creep around and just arrow everybody and laugh constantly. Um Every time in the early half of the game, when the first time you shot someone with the rifle mm -hmm. and you heard screaming, and I at first thought, oh, that's cute. I don't know. They put in some extra noises in there. And mm -hmm. then I walked up to the body to see that an arm had been cut yep. shot off. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, these people are. And you only hear that scream when that happens. Like if you yep. shoot someone like in the head. And they just die, like you don't hear that screaming. Mm -hmm. If you shoot someone like in the in the belly, and you get like the two or three shot, depending on what gun you're using, you don't hear that. But if you hit the rifle the right way, yep, and the arm pops off, you hear that screaming. You hear the, the NPCs, the enemies, like call out each other's names. Mm -hmm. You be like, oh my god, Andrew died. Why did you kill Andrew? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> which is is something. Oddly enough, I don't think I've ever heard in a video game before. It's, yeah, because they are the first people to do this, sons of bitches. <laughs> right? Um, holy shit, this game is amazing. Um, I, I, I know, and, and oddly enough, here's another thing that it's, it's, these are one of the smallest, simplest things you can do. And it's funny that I'm sure other people have done it, but I haven't given them credit for it. In the same way that, like, we talk about Hamilton, and you talk about the things they're doing in uh, there, Hamilton? Like, yeah, other people what? are doing this. Um, but when you finish a game, you play through this entire game, and the menu screen is the boat, almost looking like the end scene of Children of Men. Right. Where you have that boat in, like, the fog and the dark light, and all everything looking awful. And when the game is over... The menu screen changes completely to like this brightly lit dock 
um, with the beach and everything, and you know that you've come out the other end, and the new game, new game plus option yeah. comes up. Which honestly, I know I should, but I'm probably never going to play the new game plus. <laughs> I need time away from this game. Uh, I am. Um, if I weren't so afraid of the Rat King, I'd be further, but I cannot. Um. But like small touches like that, like just made me go like, "Oh, game, you deserve everything you get." It's yep. amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, and we didn't even talk about the Rat King like that. Like, fuck. Last, <laughs> last year, last year I was talking to Damien about Resident Evil and how much I fell in love with it. I didn't actually. I don't think I actually beat that game. I need to go back and play it again and start over and beat that game. I think what happened was I got trapped into a point of that game where I got, I saved myself into a corner. Right. And too many things against me. Right. And um, and just kind of went fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> I love that game. But what I love about that game is how um, not just Mr. X, which is a big enemy body um, of the game, but how every encounter feels almost life and death. Like, that, that enemy in that scene... Yeah. Um, you said that you took off your headphones and turn on all the lights. Yep. I took it a bit further and went into the options menu and turned up the brightness <laughs> so that I could see more of what right. was going on in the scene because I felt like the game was cheating me most times. Like, right. The, Douglas, um, they, they have... Because it's a video game, there's various stages of enemies, right? And you had already come across some terrifying enemies. Like, they take a lot of damage to bring down and they move quickly and like you've been through a lot and then they put you in this place where they call ground zero and you try to open a door and you hear because the sound design is so good you hear that there's something big on the other side but you've faced big things before and so you're just like all right whatever it is we'll deal with it also, it's day two, so you know there's another day to get through. So in your mind, you're like, it's a video game. The worst things are on day three because video games. And, and first of all, that is correct. The worst thing is on day three is Call of Duty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and just before you get here, Douglas, there's a, set, there's a building that you have to um, descend. Um, and... Every level you go down, it is just worse and worse enemies. Like, it is terrifying because it is dark and everything around you is scary. And you finally get outside and you go into this hospital. And then it turns, as Andrew says, into a Resident Evil movie. Um, video Like, it's, it's just this straight horror movie. You're in a place quarantined. There's things growing on the side of the wall. There's plastic sheeting everywhere. And then you, like, navigate all of that. You think you're, you finally get the thing that you went down there for. And you, like, walk into an ambulance. And you can see the light from outside at the front of the ambulance. And you walk in there. And then <laughs> the stuff of nightmares happens. <laughs> and... It chases you for a good long while and then backs you into this place where it's the only place you can fight. Like, all you can do for the first time is just run from this thing. And then it's just like, 
it is at the end of the hall. You're at this door. You cannot get through the door. And the camera pans around. And it's you. And it's this thing coming towards you. And then it's like, good luck, dog. <laughs> it's like, you know what, game? Not today. Not today. <laughs> uh, while fighting it, part of it breaks off and turns into a second enemy. And I just put down the control. I'm like, I'll play this in the morning. I'm not doing this tonight. I don't have time for whatever this is. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. This is not the game that I came here to play. Uh, I also realized during that fight when that happens, when the second piece breaks off, I yeah. think I spent a lot of time attempting to kill him first. Yeah. Like, you know, to save myself from having multiple people to deal with. Yep. And I realized the game is scripted where you can't. Yeah, you just can't. Right? Um, um, and that upset me because I was like, why isn't this working? Why am I... I, unlike you, I was focused on the giant thing trying to kill me. I was just like, whatever that, that thing is. Was easy. That thing was easy to predict like where it would go and right. I'd give myself a little space away from it. The thing that would mess me up is whenever I started to focus on him and then mm -hmm. like a little thing would pop yeah. out and fuck with me. I was so just like, that's when I decided to focus on little things. I'll just deal so with this little thing. Afterwards, I have to kill this rat king thing. Um... There, this video game does a, um, one of the characters is sensitive to heights and she has to climb some tall skyscraper and walk over. And it's one of the few times I've actually gotten a sense of vertical in media. It happened, even though I don't like saying this because I hate this movie, it happened in Avatar. The first time I saw that movie in 3D, there's a, cause you got this sense of depth for the, for once, um, and then it happened again in this game. Uh, and there are some set pieces. There's a, they go to an island, and the island catches fire. And there are some set pieces that look better than any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, uh, I enjoy the fights with the big guys when you're Abby, um, because it puts all of this, this stuff that you've learned through her um, to the test. Um, Douglas, there's a scene um, early on with Abby. Um, I, like she's this big, strong lady, right? Um, because she's been training for years to kill Joel and sh she did it. <laughs> so she's um, bigger, stronger, faster than even most of the guys that are in her platoon. And so she's captured and she's strung up to be hanged and um these two kids save her and the entire scene um is shot like a movie so it starts out and some of this is in trailers so if you want to see it it starts out it's raining it's dark and it's being lit by fire um and so you see the top you see the top of the trees and then they drag her and it's like one tracking shot they drag her they string her up um, she falls to the ground when she's rescued and like plucks a hammer out of the side of someone's head. And then the camera slowly pans behind her and you see her like tense up as because there's things coming to attack her. And so you see the animation is so good that you see her physically prepare herself. And then it just leads into the game. And video games have been doing this for a while. But there's something about 
just how the entire sequence is presented. And when you see it, even though it's the first day you're playing as her, you feel so powerful. You're just like, I'm going to murder every single thing that walks into my feet. I'm going to kill all of these things. And it is it is a feeling, it is a feeling you get when you're watching John Wick, the John Wick things, except your John Wick. If you're like, um, at the end of John Wick 3, when he's fighting the, the Chinese guys, and at the end of it, he's just like, everybody's just like, all right, we're all tired. Let's just let him walk off. And you're just like, you're damn right. Because John Wick, and then he walks off here like, it's like a big chair moment. And that is what you feel <laughs> playing basically the enemy. Because it's the first day and you hate this girl. But it doesn't matter because like what is about to happen is so awesome. You're just like, all right, game. And it keeps, it, it's the first game, like video games fall into two categories. At least they did. Um, there were the Uncharted games and the Naughty Dog games, which is more movie focused. Like it's mostly movie and you happen to play a game around it. And then there's games that are more mechanics based that happen to tell some story. So God of War is like that, XCOM is like that, Civ is like that. There's a story in there, but that's not what you're there for. Um, and even like football games, like Andrew plays Pro Evo, and even though he doesn't actually say this out loud, he actually enjoys watching Manu beat these teams because he's built the story in his head, like bringing a player from being trash to being great are bringing great players to Manu and having him dominate everyone across the landscape. You know that you're just winning these trophies, but in like you've built it up in your mind. You're just like, yeah, of course, I am the greatest manager in the world. <laughs> I'm in I'm in the middle of a of of a of a run with Man United in the third yeah. season on the way to winning the FA Cup and the right. English League. Um, Rashford is the top goal scorer and right. trying to make Brandon Williams the best left back in right. football, which is the most ridiculous thing, Damien, but sure. Yes. Um, but and there, that is that is what PES is. Yeah, there's a but there's a actual sense of pride. Not not just in yourself, but in this fake team and the story you're telling yourself by destroying everybody else with this fake team. And that it was that is what Civ does well. That is what XCOM did well. Although XCOM cheats, cause you can name the soldiers and, <laughs> and give them um, and give them bonds that don't really exist in the game that only exist in your headspace. Because uh, you're just like I can't let Andrew die. I can't let Douglas die. I can't let these people die because they're my friends. They're not just computer people. Game, how <laughs> dare <laughs> Uh, but usually the most games don't spend the time to weave both together because it is hard. <laughs> Understand why? <laughs> it's not easy. Um, Mario jumps on people and beats the levels and you're like, all right, fine. Uh, Metal Gear tried to tell stories, but it turns out the best part of Metal Gear 
is the gameplay part because the story is garbage. And there's like Mortal Kombat has a story. Their stories are fun, but they're ridiculous. Um, but the story doesn't tie into the gameplay. You don't feel the same sense of connection. And I, multiple times playing this game, was hesitant to do the thing the game taught me to do because of the story. Not just my internal story, the thing that is the story, you're just like, oh no, this is not, this is not how I expected this to turn out. I didn't realize my revenging turned Abby into a monster for this other person. And even though you know that that is what is happening, going through and getting it done, as the other person, you're just like, no. <laughs> I, I want it to be happy. How dare you take my happiness, my revenge away from me? I've come to this game for revenge. You don't get to take my revenge from me. That's not how this works. And... You, the game just, in every, in every instance, it does things and there's decisions made that there's people who question um, the decision making in this game because they're like, listen, no one would do this. I mean, no matter how upset you are, you wouldn't, this is a suicide mission or you wouldn't. But those people who understand just how hatred and love narrows your field of view. If you hate somebody with enough passion, you don't rely on logic because the hatred is justification for all of your actions. <laughs> uh, it, it insulates you and it, and it clouds your thinking. All you can think of is, I just need to kill this person. It doesn't matter that you, you, you innately know that killing somebody is not going to bring the other person back. Everyone knows that. But that doesn't stop people from wanting... That is why we used to kill criminals for years and years. It is... It is that... Set, you're just like... I need the catharsis of seeing this person be punished for the thing that they did. That's why we love John Wick movies. It's like John, a man killed a dog and John Wick has been killing people for three movies. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone should look at John Wick movies and go, this is the dumbest thing in the world. I will never watch this because the decision-making is poor. But no one who sits in a job... Sorry. 99% of the people that sit in a John Wick movie is well aware of what you're here for. I am here to watch John Wick. Someone barely annoyed John Wick and for him to kill a thousand people. That is why... We were like all of the movies from the 90s were basically <laughs> revenge movies. And we love those movies. The Avengers movies, all of the Marvel movies is just revenge movies. That's all we make at this point. And people love those movies because it feels good. The catharsis feels good. And that is what I came to this game for. And I got that for a half. And then this game fucked with me 
for another 20 hours, Douglas. <laughs> and took it away and made me feel things. Douglas, I don't feel things. <laughs> That's not what we do on this show. Feelings, nah, son. <laughs> Damon, I love it. that um, this is your Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, except Douglas. <laughs> Hamilton might be replicated again. Yeah. The work that went into making this game. <laughs> It's not it's not something that I think will be we'll see for a while. Um because all right, put it this way, Douglas. Um Red Dead has a tremendous story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh you go from you're this outlaw and you go through this big journey. Um and at the end, uh I guess depending on your playstyle, although I think most people play style. At the end, you sacrifice yourself to save some other people. And the story is well told. And the world is well built. The mission structures are pretty samey. But that is like you get through the story and you enjoy participating in the story. But even though it's a video game, you don't it's you don't feel active. Like there the things that you do is still just video game things. Like it doesn't tie back as tightly as this game and that is the part that i like i never thought there'd be a game to do something like this um it's a big risk i'm glad that they made their money even though people are angry but that's the internet that's how it works i am also not happy that it had to come out when the world ended (laughs) i'm sure they would have preferred (laughs) for this to be a uh, a fun jaunt through a pandemic <laughs> instead of oh no there's a pandemic and we've made this game about the world ending um but do you think that there was a conversation in the office being like um do we want to hold off for a year <laughs> if if the playstation 5 wasn't coming out this year i am really do think they'd have kept pushing it until there was like light at the end of the tunnel. They were just like, all right, listen, we have to wait until people are recovering from this before, because we can't do this now. But they know that if they put this out after the PS5, there's going to be hell to pay. <laughs> so, because you can't, you can't sell a PS5 when the game of the generation is on the old house. <laughs> like nobody's buying the new box, if the old box has the best game. They learned that with God of War 2. They put out the PS3, but the best game, the best looking game, one of the best playing games was on the old system. And you, So you can't charge six bills for something that I have a $200 console that looks better and plays better than. You find yourself in problems. Um, but Douglas, I, don't, like, I know you're not going to play the game, but... Uh, it is. It Damien, is one. I love of Red Dead, and I barely play that game. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. This is the first game where, if someone asks me, um, if this game is the, and you find some movie, is this game the John Wick of video games? Is this game the whatever of? 
like trying to find an analogy in a different medium for what this game is. This is the first time I can honestly look at people and go, don't waste your time. The Last of Us is the last of us of video games. Um, because it tells a better story than most movies I've seen. It plays better than most games I've played. And they tie together the narrative and gameplay in a way that no movie can get done because it is passive. No book can get done because it is passive. And no vi- other video game has really tried because it is difficult. Um, it is, it is, it is something I knew could get done because this is where video games are headed. Like this is the road it was always going down. But it is not something I thought was going to get done anytime soon. Like I thought video games had a, still a few more years to get here. If you can't understand what I'm saying, like it is. Remember the first time you saw Bullet Time and it didn't make like it didn't compute. You're just like, you can't get this done. Like I know there's CG and whatnot, but this is impossible. Like the, the steps you'd have to get to go through to get this done. Don't, like it didn't make sense for my teenage brain at the time. Like, you saw Neo Dodger Bullets and you're just like, I guess movies can do anything now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening anymore. I, I even know this was a... I didn't know this was a thing, let alone that this thing was possible. That is what this video game... It, like, before this game came out, it was uh, Breath of the Wild or God of War as my games of the generation. Like, I could... Depending on the day, I'd pick... Uh, one or the other. Breath of the Wild falls short because there's no story in there. Um, but the gameplay and the world that they built is so good that you kind of forgive them. And then God of War is the first game to do a Zelda type thing, but just nail none of the parts are mediocre. The story is good, the gameplay is good, the combat is good, uh, the world that they built is good, it's paced well, and you're just like, all right. And then this game is just like, you know, you were happy for 15 hours? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and it worked. Because I was, uh, there's no way I would like the, the antagonist. There's just no, they couldn't get it done. I was so confident that I played the game poorly. Like, I was so invested in hating this person that I didn't play the game how they wanted me to play the game. And it still didn't work. At the end of the game, I was just like, please, I don't want anybody to die. That's not how our revenge story ends, Douglas. This is, you've never participated in any kind of revenge where at the end of the movie, you're just like, let bygones be bygones. <laughs> I think you both make good points. <laughs> it's time for us to go. It's never happened. That's not true. What? There's, there's a holy grail. Right? <laughs> nice says, call it a draw. Like, you're like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who are you actively rooting against in the Holy Grail? Um, King Arthur. Okay. <laughs> the witches. The, the witches. witches. You don't Fair want enough. the witches because they they weigh the same as wood. Yeah. <laughs> Brave Sir Robin. Oh my god. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, The Last of Us Two. 
definitely a game that Douglas should play. You know what, Douglas? Mm. Instead of watching Hamilton 10 more times this next two weeks, <laughs> download The Last of Us and play yeah, that. Yeah, I'll buy it for you. <laughs> so that you too. Oh, that's funny. All of a sudden, I get an email to be like, <laughs> open your PS4 account. It's yes. on there. <laughs> if I actually thought you would play it, I'd buy it for you. <laughs> but I know you're not. <laughs> Because you didn't play Red Dead and you like that game. <laughs> and bo- if you are bad at Red Dead, boy, you'd be bad at this game. Oh, yeah. I'm bad at all games. Yeah. Like at this stage, it's it's horrible. Like yeah. I can I can get by on 2D games and right. football. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> oh my god. Um well yeah, like for people who listen to us, I'm sure more the overlap between people listening to us movies and video games is probably a perfect circle um but if you haven't played last of us 2 for whatever reason um and you think that you might want to play it you have to play this game it will be one of the games that people will point to uh forever uh there's times you play video games and you're just like yeah, this is this is one of the special ones, and this is this is one of the special ones, um, and it is it is one of the few times I can honestly say that this is better. This uh, Douglas, I want you to cover your ears. This game is better than any movie that came out in twenty twenty. Except Hamilton, Douglas. Douglas, except Hamilton. Hamilton is better than this game, I have to say, because I wanted us to keep being friends. Okay. But outside of that, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know it's going to be controversial when we get to the end of the year uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Tenet still won't be out. And... <laughs> 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 and Douglas is going to argue that I can't have Last of Us 2 as my uh, top movie of the year because it's not a movie. And I will argue that Hamilton is also not a movie. And so if you get Hamilton, I'm just telling you from now, if you get Hamilton as a movie in 2020, I get The Last of Us. We're both wrong. I I sense a stalemate (laughs) on this way. Right. We're both wrong. But at at number one at the end of the year, you will have Hamilton. I'll safely be able to say, Boy, that's not a movie. And I'll have Last of Us. And you'll be able to say, dog, that's a vi- that's less of a movie. It's a video game. And Andrew won't argue because he has real things to do now with his life. So I'm just letting you know up front. Um, whatever handshake agreement we need to have so that both our movies can be on the list. Because if you fight mine, I will fight yours. Uh, yeah, man. We can- that's how bad mine works. We can talk about it offline um, so Andrew doesn't hear. Um, and, you know, we'll come to an arrangement. <laughs> I, say, I say I'll allow it. No one, no one was in the room when it happens, us. okay? Yes. <laughs> Andrew definitely when, wasn't. <laughs> when, Douglas, when Douglas completes The Last of Us, when I see that trophy on mm-hmm. his account, right. then, then I'll say it's okay. Okay. It's <laughs> all <laughs> so like, Dave, I need to buy me the video game. <laughs> I'm with so what I'm going to do is when I come to your house, if like next month or next year or whenever, uh, 
we can go outside again. I'll just play The Last of Us on your PS4 <laughs> while we're doing the podcast. <laughs> So that the trophy pops. <laughs> oh, Douglas beat the last of us. That's good. Um, uh, Andrew, the thing, the, the the thing with the new game plus that is um is fun is that um you have you get the chance to max out all the skill trees and stuff, which um individually aren't that great. Like the bonuses aren't tremendous but uh, at least for me because i'd gotten so familiar with the mechanics and who does what um the game stopped being a stealth game and turned into john wick the second time around because i was running i figured figured as much yeah i was i've been running like fools like flat out killing (laughs) people like jumping off roofs to stab people in them face Immediately falling onto the ground, throwing a smoke bomb, leaping over somewhere, picking up a pipe, hitting somebody, diving prone, shooting somebody, grabbing someone to throw at like some click or like it is just abject chaos. And then a minute later, everybody's dead. <laughs> I'm just like, this is not how this game was built. Boy, it's fun to do this. Um and then you get like the, the powerful weapons, so, like scenarios that used to take time and patience. You like throw a bottle, eight things converge, you then throw fire on them and then proceed to follow up the fire with a dynamite arrow and an encounter that took you time the first playthrough just took 15 seconds and you're just like, all right, <laughs> this, game's, this game's a good game. This is a good game. Uh, but I don't want to fight Rat King, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> yeah, I I'm going to take a while. I'm sure I'm sure I'll find some other game to play. Um, I need to go back to Persona Four. I'll probably pick up some other game that I've bought on the PlayStation that I've not finished. I I can uh, tell you what game you should never ever play. Uh, Assassin's Creed Three. Yeah, I haven't played any of those games, and I have no intention of. Uh, this this God Galaxy launcher thing is showing me all the games that I have never played, but owned by some miracle. Uh, and by miracle, I mean because I've thrown away money. <laughs> and so I've been like going through the backlog, and I need someone to explain to me if the Assassin's Creed games were ever good. Because I hate playing them so very much. Well, we've hit a, a new runtime in podcast history. Yes. That I think it's time. The Lottie three hour mark. Play us out. <laughs> you say the price of my love is not a price that you're willing to pay. You cry in your tea, but you hurl in the sea when you see me go by. Why so sad? Remember we made an arrangement when you went away. Now you're making me mad. Remember despite our estrangement, I'm your man.
I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love.